When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's the 7th of November, and welcome to the Morning Combat Podcast. Hi, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos, right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my editorial life mate, my friend and yours. He is the king of Connecticut. It's Brian Campbell. Hello, B.C. How are you doing today? Hi, Luke. I'm, I'm pretty fired up. I don't know if you heard, but today is Monday, and this week is UFC 281 fight week, right? MSG, baby. MK on the ground in Jersey City, honey. <laughs> uh, sorry, about, sorry about that. I got a little too excited, but um, I'm really excited, Luke, you know? Well, you sound like it. Sound like you've had like five Xanax before the show. This will be great. Uh, all right, everyone, you know the drill. If you're watching on YouTube, two thumbs up. Hit subscribe if this is a new venture for you. By the way, as BC indicated, we're gonna be. I'm gonna be in Jersey starting tomorrow morning. We have a lot of fun stuff planned for you. Some stuff we can announce. Some stuff we cannot. The fun stuff that we cannot announce. I think you're gonna really like it. I think you're gonna really yeah. like it. So be on the lookout for some cool stuff coming tomorrow, and then every day thereafter from Jersey City. Uh, also, if you listen to this on your favorite podcast platform, do do leave us a nice review. We appreciate that when you do. BC, look, everyone knows look. the order today. Real quickly, we're going to get to some UFC stuff. We have some controversy, some serious controversy, as a matter of fact, in that Derek Minner fight. We'll talk about that, plus the main and co-main event. Dimitri Bivol out there looking like an absolute stud. And then, of course, David Morell Jr. Now, there is some controversy. Well, not controversy. There's some sad news to report about that fight. But in just in terms of the the, the way he looked, he looked great. So a full slate of uh, stuff to get to. What were you going to say? I'm sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, Luke, that, you know, we covered the balls out of that Jake Paul Anderson Silva fight. And, you know, maybe it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but you can expect that same coverage for all things 281 this week. In fact, when you are an award-winning podcast, the pressure mounts on your shoulders to outcover your competition. And, Luke, every single event this week, we will be there to react so many special guests, so many bonuses coming your way. I want the people to realize, get your shit done this week early and then get ready to ride with MK all friggin' week long because this is the big time and this is a major, Luke. This is like the U.S. Opens or some shit here for, for UFC and uh, I, I'm going to bring my best, all right? I'm going to be doing a tape study. I'm going to be uh, working, trying to work in some new material. Luke, it's going to be a huge week, all right? All right, let's just make sure we have the appropriate tone for the appropriate venue this time. 
Uh, let's see, BC. If folks want some merch, you can get some morningcombat.store. I don't think we. Oh yeah, BC's got the hat on. Got the hat on there. Uh, you yeah, I'm always represented. That's right. Morningcombat.store. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your place for you know if you want to send the. Let's see. Uh, by the way, we moved DMs from Donks to Friday, so I think we're still going to use Instagram for that. But of course, for dead wrongs and then for fan subs, you can use that. Uh, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Of course, there's going to be. By the way, we're not far from the best Bellator show of the year, and not this Friday, but the following. So that'll be a lot of fun. Showtime.com is the best place to get that, of course. And uh, you can get a 30-day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, you can bounce. BC, I want to tell folks, though, about first person. We all want to turn back the clock and relive those glory days. And for me, I would love to wake up every morning with zero brain fog, a clear mind, and be as energized as I was when I was younger. And thanks to first person, I can take a more active role in my brain's overall health. Yeah, finally, you can start feeling like yourself again, Luke. Why? Because First Person is an innovative cognitive supplement system which uses the medicinal benefits, get this, of mushrooms to activate the full potential of human cognition and brain health. That's what I'm talking about. First Person supplements made with functional mushrooms aim to stimulate neurotransmitters that trigger activities like energy, mood, and sleep. And First Person uses 100% grain-free organic mushrooms, as well as highly curated blend of, get this word, nutraceuticals. I personally am looking forward to trying the Sunbeam supplement to help with motivation and focus. My goal, of course, is to be more productive and attentive throughout a very long day. Well, Luke, you you know, might as well try it, right? You might as well start right now. If you want to start improving your brain health and cognition, you better get with First Person. In fact, you can get 15% off on your first order today by going to getfirstperson.com and then using our code COMBAT with a K. Again, that's G-E-T-F-I-R-S-T-P-E-R-S-O-N.com, code COMBAT for 15% off your first order. Getfirstperson.com. Code combat. All right, BC, Luke, it's, it's time. No, it's it's time for you to do it. Okay, you can't waste the day when the night brings a hearse. You know what I'm. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right. So make your move, right? We got to get on with the topics, right? Yeah, pl- plead the fifth. Okay. You, you're, you're, we're not going to let you're doing, you plead. You're doing the first. some. Da- you're doing some down rodeo there from Rage Against the Machine. Oh wow, look at that pull. I mean, we don't see the '90s counter anymore. I don't know what happened to it. We had a good run with that, dude. Thing, I saw I, again. I saw I, it was a bit of like you know, Dad's Night Out energy in terms of how old the crowd was. But I saw them here before they canceled the tour with um, with Killer Mike and uh, LP run the jewels. Dude, Rage was good. They were good. Well, I'm um, not going to lie, they were pretty good. Did they evolve as a live outfit, Luke? In terms of like jamming and 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 just you know, no, it sounded like they were recording an album. Like so, okay. it wasn't quite the live thing in that sense. But how clean their sound was, their sound was impeccable. It was impeccable. All right, there um, you go. All right, Let's a lot, a lot like the history of a lot like the history of Morning Combat. I'm sorry, impeccable yes. sound. There we go. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's bang. Exactly right. All right. Let's kick things off here with some UFC discussion. Topic number one. Boy, I gotta say, how about Friday's guest Dean Thomas calling this one? perfectly even against me and bc's snickering objections we couldn't believe he was saying it but turns out he was right mendelemos polishes off marina rodriguez in the third of their main event at ufc vegas 64 bc dean thomas was absolutely right about her power is that your biggest takeaway from this fight yeah, that she's absolutely for real in this division, and I didn't think she was, Luke, and I got to give her a lot of credit. And obviously, you look at Amanda Limos's stretch now, it's seven wins in eight fights, only that loss at submission loss to Jessica Andrade. But, you know, we had sort of picked apart the resume. You know, had she fought enough elite fighters, had those fights been 
clean and clear rather than, you know, split or majority decision. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. She got her opportunity by winning to get to this point. And she punched a hole through somebody in Marina Rodriguez, who let's not forget just three, four days ago, we were debating whether she should have even taken this fight and whether she had already potentially locked up a title shot because of how good that four-fight win streak was. But nothing's guaranteed in this sport. At the end of the day, we praised Marina for staying busy and giving herself the best opportunity to stamp a title shot. Well, she got stamped in the end. So let's talk about Amanda Lemos. Uh, she came out there with big power, but she was also very poised. Look, that was a throwaway first round in which both of them felt each other out. But I think you got to give Lemos credit for taking that fight to the ground there in round two, beginning to establish herself as a physical force, and then staying true to her game plan. And when the moment was there on the feet, she hurt Rodriguez. She swooped in. And look, this is why you, you, you. This is why we play the game. This is why we fight the fights. At the end of the day, you can't win them on paper. Lemos won it in the ring. She didn't need any judges. And we got to wake up and realize that we've got a hungry, aggressive contender right now in this deep and great division. Yeah, I really echo that. Again, I want to give credit to Dean right up front, as we already have. But just to reiterate it one more time. I wasn't. I, it's not that I didn't believe she had big power. I just wasn't sure how exactly decisive it would be as a factor. Turns out, very decisive is the answer. But the truth is, it's more than just that. Her big power definitely played a role. And the first round was close. You could maybe give it to Rodriguez. In fact, I think she probably did. I didn't see the judges' scorecards. But I think more people than not thought she had won it, although it was close. Second round, very much a Lamos round. Getting control from the takedown from the clinch. Riding out the back. Threatening with a submission that was, you know... Certainly very serious for at least a moment in time. And then the third round, stopping her. But what you noticed about it was she had hit her with that same shot previously where Rodriguez was charging in, Lemos would slide back, and then pop her with a counter shot. She had landed that before, and this time she landed it to just much better effect. What you see in the fight is that at distance, you know, they were kind of pot-shotting each other with kicks, but they Rodriguez's game could not get going from distance, so she had to shorten it a little bit, and that's when all the problems started because obviously she has big power, Lemos does. She was obviously able to intercept her coming in, and then in the clinch on the ground, she was better as well. The reality is, basically, this isn't 100% true, but it's largely true that Lemos was better everywhere. So the power was a decisive factor. The anticipation as your opponent closes distance was a factor. Obviously, her patience to a degree was a factor. Good back control, good submissions. Did have that one error in the first round when she ended up on bottom from a failed throw. But short of that, man, this was just the Amanda Lemos show from beginning to end. So to your point, I give credit to Dean Thomas for that. I give credit to, to Lemos for showing, I think, I won't say new wrinkles, but the full breadth of her game, all the different things that she can do. And I agree, it's a tough loss for Rodriguez. It really sets her back. Uh, but for Lemos, we have a new and outstanding contender here now BC we got to talk about the stoppage though because that was a real big topic of controversy online now having reviewed it in real time it's one thing reviewing it's another having reviewed it after the fact how do you feel about it I was fine with it I was fine with it then I'm fine with it now uh, I get the fact that once the stoppage ha happened you saw Marina come to life and, and complain in that moment but uh, I think it was, was it DC who was doing the the highlights of the uh, or was voicing over the replays Luke was DC on this I broadcast I don't remember 
or did I just make that up? You know, it's 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 amazing how 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 little I can remember Luke at times. But uh, here's the deal: I think whoever was voicing over the highlights w- was pointing it out. I think she was out on her feet from that first big shot that backed her up. I thought she got worn down for much of that second round on the ground and kind of got the a little bit of the will taken out of her. I watched the replay. I'm completely fine with it. She was getting lit up with clean shots. She was attempting to defend herself, but wasn't firing back and and was really, you know, on her way to getting knocked out, it seemed. Knocked out clean, potentially. Uh, I don't know where the outrage in this specific case is. So there will be two complaints that you could make about it. And in in general, I don't really have a problem with it. I think Jason Herzog is an outstanding referee and um, whether you think this is his best call or not his best call, it's still not a bad call, just to be very clear about that. It's not a bad call at all. The question is, was it a little early? So the two ways you could assess that is, one, if this were a prelim card fight, you could be like, oh, I understand it more because the stakes aren't as high. It's not a five-rounder. The competitors typically are not as senior. And so you get a little bit earlier on the interventions than if it's a main event. And there's a lot more at stake with a lot more senior competitors. That's the one one claim you can make. The other claim is, and this one's a little hard to prove with any kind of data, but there does seem to be something to it, BC. What do you make of the idea, whether or not this fight serves as an example of it? But what do you make of the idea that we do see women's fights stopped earlier when there's some brutality involved? That if they, these were men and men had reacted very similarly, similarly, excuse me, that we would have gotten the exact same result from the referee. Do you buy that, or do you think it's a bunch of nonsense? No, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. There were times, and even in the last couple of years, I tried to throw that sort of devil's advocate counter theory out there that are we still not, you know, subconsciously fully adjusted to the idea of women fighting on this level. And that sounds crazy to even voice, but, you know, don't forget that when the UFC did, you know, through through the, the launcher, the the stardom of ronda rousey activate this in the beginning there were a few you know credible names media members a lot of people who were like you know what i just don't know if i like watching that i think we're so far past that and i think you know uh i was cage side for yuana versus Wei lee part one and even though that fight let's say didn't have sequences like this where somebody looked that close to be ready to go that was a fight where in the fifth round, I'm kind of watching through my fingers going, this is as brutal as it gets, and it, and it kept going. Now, that's a title fight on a pay-per-view. This is also a main event with key title implications. But, Luke, when you're getting when you're getting lit up in boxing or MMA, when you're getting lit up with big shots and you're not firing back and your posture is, you know, partially defensive, but also partially you could be out on your feet, I, I don't see where the where the argument against that in this case is because Rodriguez looked out on her feet, or if she wasn't, she looked like she wasn't competently defending herself despite her hands being up. So, no, I, I don't, in this case, I don't buy that. I mean, you know, look, we did get to the point of this, you know, suffrage is a real thing. Can we get past any, any, uh, any, gen- any gender bias here, Luke? I don't think it's a thing anymore. It's, it's not. Okay? Uh, well, here, here's what I would say. Just pointing out that it didn't happen in other kinds of crazy fights involving women wouldn't disprove it. it wouldn't, the, the argument would not be that it happens all the time, every time, in very direct and uh, identical ways. The argument would be, is there a trend such as the larger data can show that these fights are being a little bit stopped early? So 
again, I don't know that there's a ton of good evidence collected. In this particular case, it's a little harder to make that argument. Well, is, if there's a I, trend, I be, Luke, Last thing on this, last thing, last thing. I would be curious to see if someone could assemble data because, again, in, individual circumstances don't prove or disprove anything. It's the wider set of information. Yeah, so you're saying, hey, Richard Mann, get me some stats. That's what you're saying. Stats, bro. Data. That's what you need. Get me some data. Well, you know, it would be too easy. I mean, I used to edit Richard Mann's stuff at ESPN, Luke. He's a, you know, he's a veteran in this game, but it would be too easy to, to if he needed a nickname to be like, Dick guy or dick boy. I mean, he needs a real nickname, right? Dick man. Dick man, that's a little bit too. I'm going to work on that, okay? I'm going to work on that. But, um, Luke, I, I think if there's any trend lately in both sports, it is stopping things quicker when somebody seems concussed on their feet. Would you agree with that? And I don't think that's a negative trend. Because yeah, it can lead... Yeah. It can certainly lead to situations where you're going to argue too soon. But, you know, we've got in the Showtime Boxing Main event, which we're going to get to shortly, somebody who was induced into a you know medical coma because of the, the accumulated damage. So in the moments where someone's dominating, it looks like they're on their way. And the key word, the key, the key thing that, that the referees are looking for, in my eyes, is it's not just competent defense. It's, it's are they attempting to throw back, uh, you know... I think we're only going historically closer to a direction where you're going to see more stoppages like that, like this. And, you know, it's always going to be the purest in us who loves the big comeback in a fight where someone's taking intense damage. But this is, this just isn't one of those in my eyes. But I'd love to hear a, car, a counter argument, Luca, as to why, you know, this should have been this should have kept going. I didn't see it. Yeah. Again, this is not you can you can you can you can any any debate or excuse me. Any stoppage is, in some ways, up for debate. I mean, the you know, short of someone just going completely out, um, and so this is not a bad stoppage. It's just a question of was it a little bit early given the circumstances. I think you're right, though. Are we seeing a trend where people get rocked on the feet, and then what you're looking for in this particular case, it seems to me from Herzog, is when he's looking down at Rodriguez. You know, I remember, for example, when Ken Shamrock fought Kimo. He hit him with a knee from the clinch. Kimo fell and then just turned his back and looked away. And the referee, I think, later was asked about it or something like that, where they had said, yeah, like once he showed his back, it was pretty clear he didn't want anymore. He was he was literally avoiding the fight. In this particular case, it wasn't exactly that, but it looked like she had been hit with the shot and was turning away and not really consciously reacting. Right. So it's okay to get hit with punches depending on how you react to them. But if you're just kind of absorbing and hands are out and there's not any kind of more intelligent approach to mitigating the problem in front of you, they're going to intervene. So Jason Herzog is a, is a fantastic referee. Just want to make sure we went over the details. Okay, BC, last thing on this. A, who would you like to see Lemos fight next? And B, here's my question about Rodriguez. Oh, excuse me, Rodriguez, I'm sorry. Was this something of a loss where it doesn't just hurt her stock because she lost to someone else who was really good. That, that, that and it sets her back in the divisional rankings. That's obvious. But what I mean to say is, did this show that like whatever long-term upside she's got, you've already seen it. Like there, this, is, this is the final product. And if she can't get any better, which it seems like she cannot, this is all that there really is. Yeah, look, the onus is on her to to when she does come back to to come back with a big statement. Now, it's easy to say, okay, this is a 
monumental loss because it looked like she was on the, the footstep of a title shot. And I think that's fair, but let's just look back two fights ago when, when Lamos was riding a, what, a five-fight winning streak at that point and got submitted by Andrade. And look at her. She got another opportunity. She won her, you know, her next fight, but then she gets back in this one and gets a huge stoppage in a main event. Sometimes, you know, more often than not, it's about timing in the big moment. Marina Rodriguez has had Two moments that seemed to snuff out some real momentum that she put together. One was the stoppage loss to Esparza that launched Carla to the direction of a title opportunity. And now this one. But she's 35. In fact, both fighters in the main and co-main on Saturday, they're all 35. It just happened to work out that way. The window is closing. The one question mark we had about Marina coming in was that lack of sort of top-end power or finishing ability or, or, or submission threat. She's a very tough fighter. She's hard to look great against. If you're not complete and you're not of that ilk, she's going to expose you. This does take her down a notch and really puts the onus on her to, to try to make one more big run and, and, and try to do the kind of thing she hasn't to separate herself from this level of competition. I think you look back on this and, you know, because of what we talked about, she went backward in the rankings. She said herself in, in, in the media day, you know, I don't really understand this matchmaking. Was there part of her that just subconsciously or naturally wasn't as well prepared or didn't respect Lamos up to this level? Uh, that could be part of it. They're, you know, fighters are humans at the end of the day. So I don't write her off completely. But is, it, is, is night drawing near? Yes, I think for this fighter who's got to look in the mirror and say, is there another gear I can find? If not, I may have just missed my window with this defeat. It may have worked out that way, but let's give her another chance to get back in this. For the rankings in Lemos, I like. I agree with your answer on Rodriguez. Again, we don't have the updated rankings, but so as they were before the fight took place, Rodriguez was sitting at three in the rankings. You had Lemos sitting at seven. I don't know if they'll if if Lemos will take the number three spot, but if she does, you sort of wonder who the other fights could be. You could maybe do an Andrade rematch, but I don't know if there's a lot of like demand for that, given how kind of it all ended very quickly for, uh, uh, well, for Andrade getting the uh, the standing head norm triangle. What about the idea of Lemos versus Rose? Do you like that idea? It's a fresh matchup well, I, for Rose. I, I certainly love that idea, but what you really have to ask yourself is if you're going to make that matchup and, and Lemos just fought, and I know she's she's opportunistic, she's 35 as well, she's trying to maximize, so she said in her post-fight interview, please, Dana, I'll be the backup for the MSG title shot, and I, I like that Chandler-esque spirit. But I think if you were doing Rose versus Lemos, th then again, it's like, okay, well, who's going to fight for the title next? Look, I think Rose is just too big of a celebrity, two-time former champion, and although it's largely her fault she just lost that title belt, the UFC can make a trilogy with her against either winner of Saturday's fight. So to me, Luke, knowing business, knowing history, especially if it's Whaley who wins, you're going right there into the trilogy. And Lemos, under that setting, would need one more victory to truly put herself in that number one contender spot. So what's my answer to that? If Rose is on the UFC's plans for next... How about Jan Shaunan, who just bounced back nicely against Mackenzie Dern in a close fight? Is that an acceptable matchup for you for Lemos moving forward? It would be, but that's a if I'm Dern, whew, that's a tough fight. That's a no, tough Le fight. Be like, Shaunan versus not Lemos, I'm talking about. Not Dern. Dern lost to Jan Shaunan. That's what I'm yeah, talking you, about. Yeah, well, even then, it, it would be a question of like where Lemos ends up. Because if they put her, they, they could. It, it, one possibility is they could bump Andrade up. Because Andrade has a relatively recent win over her, and they could put, excuse me, they could put Lemos at four. No, 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 Luke. Be... I'm going to interrupt you. 
Andrade has a fight at 125. She has she has switched paths. There's there were two roads know, emerged in the woods. She's gone back and forth. She's gone back and she forth. She took so the less traveled back to 125. Okay, so she's yes, there for now. She's out of this conversation. I understand, but you never know if she could just jump right back in. But if you take her out of the equation, it does make the matchmaking a little bit easier. Frankly, either of those fights, I think you could get away with and make um, the Yanshan Nan one. To your point, would be a little bit more interesting and better since they both are coming off of big wins. But um, yeah, she she is now in that space where. Whatever she gets next, that could be her fight for a title. No doubt about it. Because you're only going to be fighting either Rose, Zhang Wiley, Carla, Andrade. If she comes back, Yan Xiaonan or Dern. And Dern would be the lowest ranked opponent she would fight in that case. And that would be a pretty great uh, run. You know what you forgot to do, though? You forgot to counter me and say, hey, BC, great idea on Rose. But if Carla goes out there and wins a decision, let's say, against uh, Wei Li, you're supposed to tell me, BC, there's no chance the UFC does Carla Rose 3 after that after that shit cake they both produced last time. That's what yeah, you're supposed I, to say. I, I got to tell you, I, yeah, that, that's probably not high on anyone's priority list at this point. So, um, fair point. All right, let's go to the co-main event, BC. How about old Neil Magny? Old fucking Neil Magny out there still getting it done. By the way, we were wrong on this one too, BC. Submitted Daniel Rodriguez in the third round of their co-main event. BC, let me just ask you this, and I want to ask it in this context. How impressive was the victory? Because I think if you're a jaded POS, it's very easy to be like, yeah, it's a nice win. It's a win of a guy in the top 15, blah, blah, blah. But I want to talk about the Neil Magny factor here, right? We'll talk about him breaking that win streak about GSP in just a second, or you can bring it up if you want. We can get right into it. But the point I want to make was there needs to be a place in the conversations we have around fighters and how good they are. That, And I've said this a million times, but it really is worth reiterating here around Magny that don't revolve around, well, are they in the Hall of Fame and as individual entrants? Do they have a title? Whatever. There's all kinds of ways to not be as certainly as prestigious as that to still turn in very commendable efforts. And it seems to me like one of the real things you get from Neil Magny is, is he the best guy at welterweight? No, the evidence doesn't necessarily tell us that. But the evidence does tell us he is consistently very, very good. He came off a terrible loss against Shafkat Rachmanov and had to deal with adversity in this contest and still got it done. He's been doing that kind of thing for a very long time against very good opposition. Surely we have something nice to say about that beyond good job. Well, we got a lot of nice things to say, but I think you're breaking glass in case of emergency here. You're trying to nominate Neil Magny for the Hall of Fame. I mean, you said he's a very good fighter, and he's been very good a long time. I'm not in I agree. any way trying to nominate him for the Hall of Fame. In no way am I suggesting All right, I didn't, know, I didn't know where you were going. I'm like, Hall of very good, yeah. Very good fighter. I mean, look, what do we say coming in? Neil Magny exposes you if you're not real. And nobody wants to be called a journeyman, and Neil Magny's been at a very high level for a long time, and I'm not calling him a journeyman or a gatekeeper here. He's got the most wins in welterweight history. Uh, thumbs up. He always has an ability when we think we know which direction he's going to not necessarily reinvent himself, but come through a, a hellacious camp and come in there and do exactly that. But as great of a win as this is for Neil, and it was, it hell yeah, it was. He took big shots from D-Rod. Is this more of an indictment that maybe D-Rod is not of the elite ilk, so this result proved to us who Daniel Rodriguez is more than necessarily proving us to who Neil Magny is. This is who Neil Magny always is, Luke. Uh, we both picked D-Rod. We both had maybe higher hopes for that. At the end of the day, Neil was the better fighter in this fight, and he deserves it, you know, like he does anytime he puts together three and four fight win streaks in between big step-up losses. He deserves another big opportunity off of this, but it kind of was what it was in terms of its potential. 
if D-Rod wasn't going to show us a complete game or take one aspect of his game and take it to the next level, he was going to have the opportunity for this to happen. Now, did I think, you know, Neil was going to get a finish here? No. But, you know, once D-Rod started slipping punches and getting a body lock, but then showing us he was unable to do anything with that, unable to throw Magny against the cage and land big strikes, unable to take him down, Suddenly the openings were there for Neil Magny and let's take it let's let's give him credit. He's very good. He's never been great. He's very good. To me this was more of a referendum on exactly where D-Rod is coming off a fight where a lot of us thought he lost anyway, Luke. And that uh, that's not a backhanded compliment at Neil. I'm not trying to say that you're trying to say that he's sure? <laughs> that he's getting minted now for his Hall of Fame suit because no one's trying to say that. But this is a great win and a big spot in a co-main event. I'll give Neil Magny that credit, Luke. Across the board, he was on point in this fight. I, I agree with half of that. Definitely half of that. I think the difference maker in the end, here's where I think we agree. I definitely agree that like on the feet, this is the part where we were right, on the feet, Rodriguez was better, right? He was lighting up Neil Magny, and uh, Neil Magny just didn't have a great answer on the feet at all. And I think that's what we thought was going to basically be the entire terms of the fight. And that's why Rodriguez would win. So in that sense, I do agree that what Neil showed was that, yes, Rodriguez is very, very good on the feet. But the other parts of his game need to come along a little bit further if he wants to be able to beat opposition of this quality. So I do think it was referendum is a strong word, but it, any, any kind of loss always shows you know potential weak points in any fighter. No fighter is perfect. They're all going to have them. In this particular case, it did put up a magnifying glass to some of those things. But I do think you're being a little bit unfair to Neil. And the reason why I say that is because you're right. We're, we're looking at just ultimate achievement. He has done some, he's had some great wins, but he's never been like consistently excellent, that kind of thing. He doesn't have any, like, he never held a title, never fought for a title, never been a number one contender. Um, you know, there's been some limits to how, how well he's done. But just, I want to point out this. He's made his UFC debut in 2013. Here he is now in 2022. And he is still beating guys of this quality and this late in his run in the UFC. That is very difficult to do. To be this consistently, not raising what your ultimate level was, but to make sure that you're putting in enough work that you can stay at least level or above the vast majority of the competition, not the ones inside the top 10 space necessarily, but certainly everyone else in that organization. To do that consistently as long as he has, that is not easy. In fact, it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's easier, but we would be wowed by someone who had five years of a burst of inspiration and then five years of disaster. We would still talk about them more. And I'm not saying that higher level achievement shouldn't be rewarded as such. It should. But all I'm pointing out is to maintain a consistently very high level throughout the years, despite getting older, despite the game changing and everything else, to, be th to, to show a consistent level of this kind of ability it is highly commendable. It's not easy to do. It's very difficult, in fact. And I just feel like being like, well, he still doesn't have an A-plus win. Okay, but he's got a lot of like B-plus, A-minus wins. Oh, he's got a... worth something. I mean, you. I mean, if you can really pick through it, you can identify some of those wins as guys were past their stretch. But he's got wins over like Hendricks, Lawler, Condit. I mean, there's there's a strong handful of guys he's beaten. I love the call out for Neil after, by the way, to say, "Hey, look, Gilbert Burns. Like, mm -hmm. I'll go to Brazil. I'll be, you know, I'll be that guy for you. Let's go do that." That is the kind of win he needs, and you could argue has lacked. But I don't even think he got. 
let's say, one-sided on the feet, like you kind of mentioned. Did did D-Rod land some big strikes, particularly in that second round? Yes. But, you know, Magny's jab was on point, and he bloodied Rodriguez's nose early. And true, true. I, I mean, look, look, it... It's great. It was a it was a great win. It really was a great win, and to get the finish on top of that, and to have that type of dominance on the ground that he had. But what what's my biggest takeaway? I already knew Neil Magny could do this. I did expect more from D Rod and Luke. Like like I mentioned to, to to reiterate that, you know, he just didn't have anything for us on the ground. And and you're gonna have to be a dual threat to to win at this level. And I don't know if there's still time for him. I love his striking, his demeanor, his cool factor. There's every, every, I love everything about D-Rod. He's a fantastic fighter, but he showed us that he's not on Neil Magny's level here. So now Neil gets to put his head above water again and take on a, an elite potentially. And let's see what we've got, Luke. He's been around a long time, as you mentioned. He hasn't gotten worse. He's you know He's been steady. He's getting better. And uh, this is a big opportunity. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting the yellow jacket framed for him yet i don't even yeah, understand yeah. Not, what you're trying not, to say anyway so i've never even suggested that the whole i don't even get there. what you were saying though that's the thing that, maybe i'm just here, an ignorant well, let me fool. Expl- okay fine but then let me explain it i'm not suggesting he should be nominated for the hall of fame rather when we have conversations about how we praise fighters for what they've done in the cage we do it either we only do it on the terms of extraordinary achievement which of course makes sense the thing i'm trying to point out to you is to me there is still something highly commendable about consistency. Highly commendable about consistency. To me, the Rodriguez win by itself is good. It's nice. But it's in the larger totality of the body of work and what that body of work says about the kinds of things Neil, do, Neil does in the training room and how he's able to consistently apply it uh, in the course of his competitions, not against the upper end. And I, we, If we're only going to have conversations about fighters who become champions – we're going to miss a lot about what makes fighting great. Okay. It's just a reality. If you only ever talk about champions, if you only ever talk about who's in the Hall of Fame, you are missing a wide swath of very good fighters who will teach you about the fight game, will teach you about life's lessons, will teach you about humility, will teach you about achievement and everything else in between, and also about the ins and outs of MMA. I just want to make sure our conversations aren't completely segregated around just Hall of Fame guys, just championship-level guys, there's another space that deserves to be yeah. praised, and I think Neil Magny leads the pack in terms of that space. Yeah, no, for sure. And in the that lar- the larger end of that space you're talking about, we have seen guys like Jim Miller, Matt Brown get a lot of end of right. career love for being at a level for a long time. Uh, you know, Magny's you can argue is even at a little bit higher level than that because he's beating ranked guys, and now he's setting himself up for a big fight. So, Luke, if it's not Gilbert Burns, and I God, I love that call out. What could Manil Magny be looking for? Because this is a co-main event opportunity off a guy coming off a big win, even if it was disputed. I mean, there's a level, there's a line in the sand. If you're below that line, Neil Magny beats you. I want to see if he could beat somebody above that, Luke. So the names around him that might make sense would be potentially, I don't think Brady would take this fight because they're boys. Sean Brady is friends with Neil Magny, so I don't think he would take it. Then it takes you to Vicente Luque. That'd be a hell of a fight. Uh, Rachmanov already fought him and beat him. Masvidal probably won't take that fight. I don't suspect that'd be a fight he wants. You could do the Chiesa rematch. I don't, I don't know how much interest there is around that. You could do Michelle Pereira. Any of those, I think. You could do Luque, Chiesa, or Pereira. It looks like the obvious ones. Any of those okay. interest you? Yeah, well, most of them. If not all of them. But you know, Wonder we Boy, did get you, a... you could do Wonder Boy, I guess. Normally, the live comments that come in during our... Doesn't Wonder Boy have a fight? I forget who he's fighting coming up. I'll look that up. 
Uh, we normally have uh, comments coming in that we avoid on the uh, on the you know the YouTube live chat because it's usually just barbarically grotesque. Yeah, Kevin but, Holland, excuse me, Kevin Holland's wonder boy fighting. But VT is in our chat saying, "Hey, forget about Magny for a second. How about D Rod versus Sean Brady? Two big names, exciting guys coming off defeats. You like that, Luke?" You like VT's suggestion? I mean, can't believe Tyson gave that girl VT, right? You know what I'm saying? He sure did. He gave her Virginia Tech. Um, I don't know because it's like you're going to give Sean, you're going to give D-Rod a wrestler who's a good grappler right away. That seems like he doesn't have time to really work on his game. And conversely, if you're Sean, yes, the stand-up could prove difficult given what we saw against Bilal, but... Um, you know, just being the sort of low to the ground wrestler grappler that he is. I don't know if you're going to get a whole lot out of that contest. You could do it. I wouldn't hate it, but I don't know if that's okay. the best choice. You know that um, thing on the side of Frank Beamer's face, Luke? Speaking of VT. Yeah. Yeah. It was big. It was, it was big. big. Yeah, it was big. That's all I got, um, that's all I got for and, you. Yeah, it was pretty and, big. Any thoughts about Neil breaking uh, GSP's record? Now, even I got to give credit to Neil. Even Neil in the post-fight um sit down with the media the scrum was like listen i know my record's not gsp's record i know my wins are not gsp's wins i know i know that but to me this is sort of going back to it it's like dude the guy broke a very difficult record to break they're not equivalent he will be the first to admit it but just to be in that kind of company this is that consistency i'm talking about bc it, even if you're beating lesser than competition than what gsp was was tasked with to be able to do it this consistently long to break a record like that even if they don't mean equivalent things Still pretty goddamn commendable. If you oh, ask hell me. yeah. At the highest level without being cut or sent away. Look, he's been able to avoid the kind of pitfalls that end careers early, which is, you know, having things fall apart. Only when he loses, he tends to come back with two, three, four consecutive wins. And you stay at that pattern a long time. That means that you are constantly grinding, evolving, getting better, not taking, you know, uh, six months off because you went through a divorce and your career falls apart. I mean, look, this guy's been at it. I mean, Luke, it's like, you know, there, there's 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 grinders in other sports, too. I mean, if you're a baseball, if you're a starting third baseman and you hit 285 with 17 home runs and, you know, 82 RBIs, but you do it for like 12 straight seasons, they might not be putting you in Cooperstown, but you're going to make a lot of money and get a lot of respect. So if the whole point of your speech here is, by the time we put some damn respect on Neil Magny's name, then hell to the yeah, Luke. He's a he's a gentleman. He's a strong representation of this sport and this division's history. And uh, he's been here. He's fought everybody. And he's still going. So let, let's give him that. And Luke, again, I'll echo it. I hope he gets Gilbert Burns. Although, I know Gilbert wants money fights. I know he wants, you know, Colby and Jorge. He wants yeah. that, the, the, yeah, he wants that he, money. He does. Uh, just as one more last reminder on Neil Magny, and then we'll move along. The Haitian sensation himself, 27-9 and nine record. I mean, are, is anyone out here really going to say that this dude hasn't tried to fight tough guys? All he's ever done is fight tough guys. Just the last like, 10 of them, Rodriguez, Rachmanov, Max Griffin, uh, Jeff Neal, Michael Chiesa, Robbie Lawler, Anthony Rocco Martin, The Leech, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Carlos Condit, RDA, Johnny Hendricks, Lorenz Larkin, Hector Lombard, Kelvin Gastelum, Demi and Maya, The Stun Gun, and on and on and on it goes. The dude never takes an easy night, never takes his foot off the gas, Always looks for the smoke, broke an interesting record, had the humility to recognize, okay, there are some differences there, and then asks for one of the toughest guys in the division. What is there not to like? I really don't know. All right. Maybe you should call out GSP for a boxing match. Luke, we'll do it on Showtime pay-per-view, okay? We'll get, <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll get the Donald to be the referee, all right? Come on.
You can bite them both. That'd be great. Uh, BC, I want you to know, MMA fans, we've got an unreal match going head-to-head this week. Tune in to UFC 281 this Saturday to watch the action unfold between, of course, Israel Adesonia and Alex Pereira. But wait, there's something you can do right now to make things even more exciting. Today's video sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, by the way, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, is giving new customers an amazing deal. All new customers, all they have to do is sign up using the promo code COMBAT. You can see it on the screen right there, COMBAT with a K if you're listening online. Bet $5 on either fighter to win before the fight starts, and you get an additional $200 in free bets yeah. if you're betting. I mean, could, see, what do they need to know? I mean, could you pick all the, the wins successfully on this card? No, that's difficult to do, but I'm sure there's one fight that you've just got a hunch about. Hey, put $5 on that fight. If that male or female fighter wins... It's 200 bucks, okay, of free bets in your pocket. All it costs you is $5. So you want even more action? You can combine the multiple bets, like which fighter will win, how long the fight will go, and more in one parlay to give you a shot at even bigger winnings. You know what I like to do, Luke? Sometimes they give you that parlay. Will the fight go past one half round? You know how many fights go past one half round? A lot, baby, all right? So for those in states where mobile sports betting is not yet available, DraftKings Daily Fantasy is giving all MMA fans a chance to cash out this weekend. So uh, I'm looking at, you know, this one, Luke, Chandler and Poirier. Is that going the distance? I don't think so, bro. Okay, you want to go five bucks on that? Let, let's do that. How about, uh, you know, what are you feeling in that main event? Pareda's coming on. If you got a feeling, okay, jump up on the ceiling for five bucks, you can win 200. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, but it's also reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, Luke, we want them to dr- download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use that code, combat with a K code, okay? Bet your $5 on any fighter at 281. Get the 200 back in return if they win. It's that easy. The official sports betting partner of UFC and somebody who knows a great podcast when they see one, Luke. And that's DraftKings. DK, MK, meet me on the D. BC. If you're into if that. We're, if we're going to do... Okay, so imagine I had to tell you, you, had, you, know, you can only bet one direction for all of them. So you're yeah. either going to bet all of them lose or all of them win. Does CKB get your losing bet, all four in a parlay lose, or all four win? So, of course, to remind you, that'd be Carlos Alberg taking on Nikolai Negumaranu. That's one. The second one, of course, would be Brad Riddell taking on Hanato Moicano. Then Dan Hooker's got a fight, and then Izzy in the main event. What do you think? I bet they'll all be on Ariel's show. I bet that. But I'll also bet, Luke, can I bet a parlay that Carlos Alberg will win by stoppage? Ooh. And then win by stoppage after the fight, if you know what I mean, Luke. I I, I'll take, a, I'll take on that parlay. Hang loose, Carlos, okay? Please. All right. Let's get back to UFC here if we can. So this was uh, one hell of a story. Let's talk about it now. So I'm going to try and read this gentleman's name, and I'm sure I'm going to fuck this up, so please forgive me. But there was a controversy, and a pretty serious one, in the feature fight on the main card between Shyalan, please forgive me for mispronouncing this, Nur Dan Bieke uh, against Derek Minner. So about a, a, a few hours before the fight, shortly before the fight, the betting lines had suspicious movement where uh, Minner became much more of an underdog, and I'm just going to say Shyalan because his last name is a little difficult to pronounce, became a much more pronounced favorite. Then the fight starts, and Derek Minner throws... A uh, a left leg kick, or excuse me, a left leg to the body, a round kick, 
and it clearly hurts him. Then he throws it again, kind of collapses, and then he gets stopped with elbows. So the fight was flagged. A report came to SBC from Mark Ramundi and David Perdum from ESPN, and this is what it says. The, the betting on this fight is being investigated by a U.S.-based betting integrity firm after several sportsbook in multiple states reported suspicious wagering on the bout. Uh, this is what they say. The odds on Shyalan defeating underdog Minner moved dramatically in the hours leading up to the fight. Betters were convinced that not only would the uh, would Shyalan win, but he would do so in the first round. Money poured in on the favorite to win by knockout in the first round and for the fight to last fewer than two and a half rounds, prompting some sportsbooks to take the fight off the board, according to an analysis conducted by U.S. Integrity, a Las Vegas-based firm that works with sportsbooks and state gaming regulators to monitor the betting market, a copy of which was obtained by ESPN. Now, there's two theories, BC. I'll pitch this to you. Well, actually, three. One is that this is all a coincidence. Two is that nothing nefarious happened between the fighters, but somebody knew something and the word got out and betting happened. Or three, and again, I want to be clear, we don't have any direct evidence of this. We are not suggesting this is true. We're merely articulating possibilities that could explain what happened. You can decide for yourself whether or not this is true. But a third theory could be that actually these fighters, or at least one of them, or somehow were in on it, and a fight was thrown. Now, again, I don't want to speculate that that is what happened or suggest that's true without any evidence. But this is a bad situation. How do you unpack this yeah and there's a lot of you know typical twitter speculation people are like isn't james cross's coach doesn't he bet on his podcast it's like okay derek minner trains with james cross for what it's yeah so it's like hold the phone on that look i i would largely say either much ado about nothing coincidental or what you mentioned there about okay well news leaked about the injury and he went through with the fight anyway and people had a hunch but i gotta say luke while i'm not here to go all full conspiracy on you I watched this fight after I found out about what happened. Is it weird at all that Derek Minner threw a kick with his left leg, was visibly hurt by it landing uh, to the high hip area of his opponent, and then went right back to the well with that same kick and then collapsed, covered his face, didn't attempt to fight back, and, you know, both his opponent and the referee were kind of like, what are we doing? Should we stay? Yeah, 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 let's stop it. I got to say, that whole sequence... You know, it doesn't light up, you know, me coming on saying, you know, building seven or anything, but it does make me go, okay, yeah, let's investigate this. And I know the UFC has made a statement about their own, you know, internal investigator that they use for this type of situation. Look, look, this is exactly why Dana White came out a few weeks ago and was like, you know what, moving forward, let's ban all fighters from bed. I mean, look, you know, you, we grew up in the eighties and nineties when this, like, you weren't even allowed on, you know, sports broadcast to mention betting. I mean, yeah, we had Jimmy the Greek on CBS talking NFL and kind of code word, but there's a reason why this. I I I'm I was kind of waiting. You know, we lived through Donahue. I was kind of waiting for something to happen with how aggressively in sports today, or all sports, I mean, we're putting on the UFC screen updates on big betters. We're, you know, throwing out DraftKings parlay potentials with the odds. Um I don't have the answer here. But I rewatched that sequence a couple times from Minner. Something was off about that, right? Something, something smells weird. Well, there. I definitely. I they they contacted his manager and then another source, and they the word was that he went into that fight pretty badly injured, which would not be in any way surprising. I think that 
would make a lot of sense that he, you know, we see it all the time, right? People go into fights, sometimes more injured than they should be, but just injured just the same. Fine. That I can believe. And I think the best, or I would say this, the least nefarious, well, the least nefarious would be that it's all coincidental, but of the two more nefarious ones, the one that's not as bad was if word got out and then people were betting on it. But you can see why the UFC, you were absolutely right, why they got out in front of this is, quick as they did, or maybe maybe a little bit delayed, but certainly before this incident took place, about preventing fighters from, you know, betting on anything related to UFC or themselves um, as a matter of, like, sort of covering their ass, which, again, I understand. What I would say is um, this should be taken seriously. This should be yeah. investigated as thoroughly as possible. Um, you know, this is why fighters going into fights injured now takes on a new wrinkle, because two things can happen, right, if they're injured enough. One, someone can find out about it, and it can fuck up the betting, and now you are you, there's it's almost like insider trading in a way. Or the other one is that they actually do a really good job of concealing it, but people are betting on basically a fraud. I won't say that. Betting on a fucked up product that can't actually function. And either way, the fans aren't making a bet on something reasonable they're not working with a reasonable amount of information with which which either too much transparency or not enough so i don't know what's going to happen here i tend to think this is going to happen i won't say all the time but perhaps more and more um it definitely looks sketchy and i agree with you too like again i don't know what happened i don't have any evidence i've not looked into this i don't have anybody's text messages i don't have emails i don't have any phone conversations but is it weird that he threw a kick and he clearly like he winced in pain quite visibly and then threw another one right behind it. It's, it's strange. It's the best I can say is that it's strange. And I'm it could be random about this. Yeah, it could be random and coincidental. But I think that is enough of a way for them to really go deep and investigate this, like they should, because you know it's it's not crazy dissimilar to the argument we had about T.J. Dillashaw. Now it's different in the sense that what Minner did with those consecutive kicks is weird. But is there a larger conversation related to the T.J. Dillashaw incident that we've, you know, gone back and forth a few times on that there needs to? Because I saw a lot of people going, OK, why are we throwing the blame at T.J. for that situation with the injury when it you know, when one second in, it seemed like he wasn't fit to compete? Shouldn't there be more strenuous medical testing and commission efforts to really make sure these fighters aren't just fighting past certain health safeguards for the for the from the standpoint of they need the money or they're just that's how they are. That's how they're wired. No matter what is physically stopping them, they're going to go through. With the potential of this much money changing hands and gambling being not just legalized, but again, on the broadcast, they're telling you, they're giving you ideas of what parlays you can do, you know, under the under the, the DraftKings graphics on the podcast. I would like to see, similar to the TJ situation, and now this, if Minner knew that he was physically compromised that heavily affects the way people are going to bet. It heavily affects the importance of these fights and what the opponent is going to face. I mean, can it be done, Luke? Is there there is there a way commissions can test even deeper physically to to make sure? I mean, I don't I don't know, Luke. I mean, you know, I'm sure that you can hide injuries just the same way you can hide PEDs. It seems these days, but um, you're going to have a major scandal that's going to eventually make us ask key questions unless some of these safeguards that are potentially getting exposed here are, are all leveled in leveled out and ironed out because we've never existed in this type of environment where where betting is just so uh really forcibly shut and pushed in your face Seriously. we just ran an ad we just ran an ad for betting right i mean it's in your face 
they got to be on the ball. So I think banning the fighters and and did that ban on the fighters go to the team members as well, Luke? Because it is clear so, yeah. that, that they've got inside information. I mean, you can argue media members end up with inside information through our connections to teams, through being around the fighters. You know, I mean, if you're at a fight week and you're interviewing fighters all week, you can see certain things that can sway you either way. I, I do. Um, it can, uh, it can go, any, this, it can like go people, sideways anytime there's a lot of money to be made. Look, you know this in life, okay? Yeah, so I mean, let's I'll just, just be careful this. here. Combat sports has to be very careful about its, and this is true for boxing, MMA, anything, anything, anything combat sports. They always have to be very careful about what kind of image they send to the world. Because, yes, you talk about the, the Donahue scandal uh, in basketball, but the reality is basketball doesn't have as much natural suspicion about it as combat sports do, right? Combat sports, people they always think any kind of decision they don't like, ah, the fix is in, the fix is in. And Bellator got into a little bit of trouble with this, not with fixing necessarily, but when you put old guys together, they were one of the first people, to, first promotions in a major way to do this, and you just get these weird results because not that there's anything above board, but when older guys fight, they don't respond to trauma or violence the same way as the, your younger selves would, and the bottom drops out much quicker. They make more errors, and so it looks a little weird relative to what you might be accustomed to. And so you run some of these risks. The The major stakeholders in combat sports, now that betting is this centrally featured into sports, and by the way, I think on balance, it's quite a good thing. Most people seem to enjoy it. Most people are able to use it, no problem. But to the point you raised, it does mean that there might be a case for additional safeguards in place to make sure that the, imp- the appearance, anyway, of impropriety is, is tamped down. What could you do from a medical screening process? I've said this before, dude. If you go to your doctor and you tell him or her nothing is wrong, what are they going to do? <laughs> like, they can take your blood work and if there's something alarming in there or, you know, whatever, but they're not going to just make you pay for an x-ray if they don't have a need to. They're not going to just make you like, hey, where are we going to get an MRI today? Let's try the right knee. And actually, it's your left shoulder that's messed up. They're not going to do that. It requires a degree of transparency. So I don't have any easy answers but there needs to be, I think, a little more thought about this with all the major players. How do we make sure that we do the very best thing we can by putting better standards in place to have as much of this product be as above board, as transparent as we possibly can? I think the UFC has made a good effort. I think DraftKings obviously made a good effort. But when stuff like this happens, it just goes on. It just it, yeah. It's wildfire. It just takes off. And look, seeing that it was flagged early, that books took it off the board, I mean, that's the right move for, you know, these sports books to be able to cover themselves. But I think uh, to our to your point and my point as well, UFC's got to really make sure there aren't any potential gaping holes here because, I mean, they're going to have to interview everybody, Luke. There's going to have to be a, a, an absolutely legitimate investigation there because... I mean, look, people are saying, you know, there, there's a Pruder film of Anderson Silva. Was he really hit? Dude, he was really hit. We were we were there, okay? He was really hit by Jake Paul. But to your point, every fight's fixed in the eyes of somebody who lost a bet or their favorite fighter didn't win. So, yeesh. This wasn't good, though. Dude, this wasn't good. There's nothing yeah, about this that looked look good. Yeah. It, it, it just looks strange. Everything about it was strange. And so... Um, I'm glad that the that there is some investigation about it. Hopefully they can reveal to the public what they find in the end. All right, BC, let's talk a little boxing because holy jeebus, did Dimitri Bivol look amazing. How about this for a stat, BC? Zerto Ramirez missed on 88% of his punches. 88%. He missed nearly nine out of every 10 he threw. Dimitri Bivol may have given him a couple of rounds, maybe a few at most if you're being generous, 
But holy shit, dude, he looked like an absolute hammer. BC, is it now time to make the fight with uh, Better BF? I know he's got to fight Anthony Yard in the first quarter, but just give me your impressions. How much did Bivol prove here? A lot. He is a great, great fighter. A pound-for-pound top 10 ranked fighter already before this. But you want to talk about, let's talk about what he did. In there against a bigger, stronger, in theory, in terms of coming in, you know, a a more powerful opponent. And Luke, you you mentioned the 88% that he made uh, Zerto miss. If it had been the Dimitri Bivol of old, when he originally won his world title, who was, again, I'll echo it, was never afraid to fight boring and box in the outside and control you that way if that was the best plan of attack. If you told me before I watched this fight, I've seen the future, He's going he's gonna to prevent 88% of punches. I go, okay, Bivol must have really controlled from the outside with the jab and just boxed circles and never made it a real fight like we said Ramirez would have to do to win this fight. Look, that's not what played out. This fight was exciting as heck despite it being you know largely one-sided. Why? Because like the Canelo fight where we said coming in, when I picked the Bivol upset, I said, look... He's going to have to be the power puncher, something he normally doesn't do. And he was. He was the bigger man in that matchup, and he stood in there, and he delivered with that right hand and landed the telling blows so the judges had no reason to go in the direction of Canelo. Well, what happened in this fight? He fought a bigger, stronger, more dangerous opponent, and he was still the bigger puncher and and acted the role of the bigger man. How? By dominating that middle distance in front of Zerto, yet still not being able to be hit clean. He was hit here and there, and Bivol's showing us more and more that he does have a you know pretty damn good chin as well. But Luke, what's, what am I most impressed with here? Dimitri Bivol stood in the pocket against a taller and longer fighter with a bigger history of, of, of knockouts and being a finisher and was almost untouched when you talk about from the standpoint of power shots, swiveled, avoided, his defense is among. I mean, look, already, you said it coming in, CompuBox-wise, statistically, Bivol's at another level compared to everyone else in boxing. But that defense statistic looks a certain way when you fight defensive. He wasn't fighting defensive on Saturday. He was right in front of Zerto. And any time there was a moment where Zerto could potentially put together some momentum, what did Bivol do? He stepped forward, planted his feet, and lit him up with power shots. This is a fighter who's better than we thought he was, who when the stakes get larger, the lights get brighter, like against Canelo and now against Zerto, he elevates his game to another level where not only do I need to see him against unbeaten Archer Betterbeef next year for all four 175-pound titles, look, I'm going to end up favoring Bivol coming into that. Because he can do it all. No, he's not a one-punch knockout guy. But he consistently backs Zerto up. He hurt him uh, repeatedly with that right hand where Ramirez, who I give a lot of credit, he never stopped trying to win this fight. But every single avenue was closed. Luke, I want to identify two key moments here that jumped out at me. At the end of that first round, Bivol dug in and landed about five or six huge power shots in the closing 10 seconds. And then, uncharacteristically, got in Zerto's face. Didn't taunt him, taunt him, but just looked him in the eye. They bumped shoulders and chest against one another. And it was like Bivol's way of telling him, 
you're not going to do what you think you're going to do, which is overpower me and wear me down. I'm going to stand in here and take it. And then when I want to fast forward to the ninth round, it was probably the best setup for Zerto to do what he does. He had Bivol cornered against the ropes. He was letting off big power shots. Bivol's defense was there. But Bivol spun out of that position, backed Zerto up, and you can argue had his best stretch of clean power shots. This guy is an absolute technician who's now willing to be an offensive force when he needs to be to once again take away the plan A of his opponent. Not only is this guy deserving among the 10 best fighters in the world at this moment, I think he's your 2022 fighter of the year in this sport after what he did. Uh, Let's put it up there. He beat the pound-for-pound king Canelo Alvarez, who was daring to be great, and he beat him cleanly. And then he went in against a 44-0 bigger opponent who was game as heck, and he knocked him around the ring. I mean, you want to talk about eye-opening performances? Dimitri Bivol has shown us he's that dude. And hey, Arthur Betterbeev, who is one of the most thorough, well-rounded destroyers in this game. There's somebody who's coming who's quicker than you, more accurate than you, and has proven now he's got a backbone to potentially stand in with you. Mark your calendars next year, whenever we see this. If Betterbeev gets by Anthony Yard, which he should in January... This is going to be one of the best fights you can make in this entire sport. I want I want Fury Usyk, I want Spence and Crawford. Those are the sexy matchups between big, you know, big stars, unbeaten guys, all that. This might be a better fight. Dimitri Bivol versus Arthur Betterbeev. Okay, get ready because Bivol is coming on. He's here. I never thought he was this good. He is, Luke. Damn. BC, I got to tell you it's this is a gross oversimplification, but there is a little something to it, which is that we need to see the a better BF fight with Bivol because with better BF as a world champion, 100% finishing rate, 100% finishing rate versus a guy who has some of the best defense in all of boxing. It's elite defense meets elite offense. We absolutely must see it. Now I know uh, better BF has a fight coming up with uh, Anthony yard, I believe in January, something like that first quarter of 2023. So I guess we'll see how that goes, but here's my, I don't have much to add to what you said. I thought you said it quite perfectly. But I would just add, BC, it wasn't like, even, here's what it seems to me. It's not that Bivol didn't fight defensively. The numbers speak to it that he did. And this is why I always say defense wins championships. But the the key to understanding it is that he was able to maintain defense without really having a clear and noticeable trade-off on his offense. Some people can do that, right, where they're like, okay, I can be much more defensively sound, but it's going to come at the cost of what I need to get my offense going. They might be a volume striker or whatever the case may be. And so they can be better, but then there's you, you got to make a choice about how much offense you're going to have. He didn't have to make that. He never had to make a trade-off calculation, it seemed like, once in this fight. Maybe there's, again, two, three rounds, maybe at most you could give Ramirez. That's it. That's it. So what Bivol is now showing is not any kind of letting his foot off the gas with his defense. Now he's able to juggle them in proportion to make him a goddamn nightmare for anybody (laughs) who fights at 175 pounds. He's hard to hurt. He's hard to land on. He's hard to find. He's hard to deter. And now he can find you. He can land on you. He is creative. He knows all your openings. He disrupts your rhythm while you can barely land a glove on the guy. Boy, good fucking luck fighting him. You're going to need it. And it's what's interesting, Luke, is there's other truly elite fighters 
who can do some of this, meaning, like, let's give Canelo, Gervonta Davis credit. They can stand fairly close to you. They can use head and trunk movement and pivot. But what they're typically looking to do is land, you know, one big counter shot to either disarm you or dissuade you. Bivol was at that same range, only he's working the defense in real time and then coming back with clean counter. Look, I, we were sending each other gifts of some of these highlight packages that DeZone was running after the rounds where he would corner Ramirez, again, a bigger puncher, never lost, and just lighting him up with, mm-hmm. with one clean punch after another. Dude, this is a guy who, like, how many times do we see, really in both combat sports, you'll see somebody who's so gifted technically, and that translates to defense, but we say, man, if they only had that 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 next level gear or that willingness to put themselves in danger, I've really, I've never seen someone be able to put themselves in this kind of danger and, and not have it, not have it fail on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like mm-hmm. he wasn't, he was never in any kind of trouble. Any shot he was hit with, he took it well and he rotated. He was right in front of Zerto the entire night, dude. Like, you know, there were a lot of scenarios in which Bivol could have boxed one a clean 12-round decision. We've been like, okay, skills win fights. This wasn't about just skill. This was a comp- this was as complete as a comp. This was this is in, in can look. I think he's the fight of the year, and, and to some degree, this has been a weird year where a lot of the big stars only fought once. You know, Spence, Stephen Fulton Jr., who seemed to be somebody who was going to you know enter in there. Haney, yes, he had the two wins over Cambosis, and he traveled to do it. Maybe this is the perfect storm where we don't have somebody with like a slam dunk case, so it makes sense for Bivol. But you can't ask for any better competition that he's been facing, and you can't ask for two more impressive performances. He's coming out of his shell when it matters and showing us how great he can be. Look, he's not a marketer's dream. You know, he can speak English. He's got a nice smile, but he's a good dude. But his game is speaking volumes right now. Damn. By the way, did he look to be in slightly better shape to you than he was against Canelo? Yeah, yeah. He looked to, uh, he looked to me like the, whatever strength and conditioning he did for this one was a little bit better. Um, not that he was in like bad shape or anything for Canelo, but he looked to me like he was even, even sturdier this time around, which makes sense. Fighting a guy, yes, he was coming up a weight class as well previously, uh, not this time around, but you know it made, it made sense to kind of bulk up in that way versus against Canelo, maybe not. But he looked he looked amazing. So then BC, if you can, in your mind, crystal ball it a little bit with the right with the right and uh, the reservation, I should say, to change your answer later if you so choose. But as you're feeling right now, what does a bivol Better be a fight look like. Well, here's what's interesting is 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 Bivol is a small light heavyweight. I mean, you saw the size difference between them there. In fact, he's always gone on record if you talk to him long enough and saying, I can make 68 if I really had to. And there was a time when he really wanted Canelo before Canelo came back up again to light heavyweight where he was willing to make that. Yet then he comes out with these two performances. Okay, well, maybe you're supposed to do that against a smaller guy in Canelo, although with Canelo's skill set, Bivol had to show all the tools to win that the way he did. But now that he did this against somebody Ramirez's size who brings that level of danger, Ramirez is not as good as better Bivol. I'm not trying to say that. But he's evolving his identity to the point where I tease it off my original thought process. Dude, you might actually favor him coming in. His hand speed was well ahead of Ramirez's. The one thing about uh, Better Beef that 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 is a negative is he's getting older. He's got thirty seven, probably thirty eight by the time you know they probably fight next year. It has he hasn't really looked like he slowed down? Although that one comeback fight he had after the long layoff, he looked kind of human. He didn't look human against Joe Smith Jr. He took care of matters. What would this fight look like? Do I expect Bivol to dig in and fight the same style that he did against Ramirez, considering that 
Better Beef has some of the most crushing power in this game. He's 18 and 0 with 18 KOs. Not necessarily, but Luke, I didn't necessarily believe that he was going to be able to stand that close to Ramirez and just not get hit either. His defense is at another level. I don't know what it would look like. Can he win this fight from the outside if he has to? Can he dig in? I mean, he's going to have to land clean shots and and make it's going to really come down to his chin, which has something we never really talk about with him because he doesn't put himself in bad situations. He is going to have to get close to that fire against better beef, but then also show that he won't be deterred if he gets hit clean. Easier said than done. But this is going to be a fight at a very high level because let's not forget, Archer Betterbeef can box like a son of a gun as well. Uh, but when this fight opens up, if Bivol's chin is also at this extreme elite level, dude, I'm telling you, we're looking at a guy, I mean, it's stiff competition right now for pound for pound kingship, right? You might like Inoue, you might like Spencer Crawford, Canelo is on the way in the other direction, but he was just there. Usyk is in this conversation as well. Dude, if Bivol goes out there and, and beats Better Beef, he might be your pound-for-pound king. That's the type of skill we're talking about. So what does this fight look like? Does Bivol have another gear on top of what we just saw? I don't know, Luke, but I might favor him entering this because his speed is, is better than I thought it was at this level, and he's got enough pop because of how cleanly he throws and how you know he squares himself up in the right moments and just lights you up. This, be, this could be a problem for Better Beef. It really can be. And, and you got to do that for 12 rounds against Arthur. And, and by the way, nobody's gone the distance against Better Beef up to this point. But Bivol has a chance to be historically great here. I mean, seriously. If he gets a win here over Better Beef and becomes the undisputed champion, he has a chance to do something huge. He's showing us that he's willing to take on the danger to do it. What does this fight look like? I don't know, but I can't wait to see it, Luke. Let's do it next year, okay? Anthony see, Yard's going to have his hard, say, but... How hard is the fight to make, right? Because uh, Better Beev is on with top rank on ESPN. Bivol's over here on DAZN. Is that fight really doable? How how likely is it that it gets made? Obviously, there's a ton of interest, but how real-world doable is it? It's a great question. It's a great question. Sometimes people are more willing to work together when... You know, there's the potential for history and either fighter has no other option of great note. Could you argue that in this case? Is there, you know, would Eddie Hearn, who's the Bivol's promoter under the DAZN banner, and Bob Arum with top-ranking ESPN, is there a way they can work out a trade or do a two-network deal or just, you know, given the stakes and the circumstances? I don't know, Luke. I hope cooler heads can prevail. Sometimes it's harder to make these type of fights when you have bigger stars because they demand more. For these two fighters, better be even Bivol, this is their Super Bowl. This is as big as it gets. Obviously, Bivol fighting Canelo was bigger from the standpoint of commercial, but, you know, and you're fighting the pound-for-pound king, but this is the career-defining fight for both. I'm going to put on my optimism hat and, and hope that cooler heads can prevail here. Sometimes it's harder, as we're finding out in Crawford Spence, when you have two A-sides in this case. You know what I'm saying? There may not be that factor in this when when people do sit down and try to make it work and try to be reasonable. Let's give him a chance to make it. But Anthony Yard in January is going to have his shot, Luke. He's not the fighter of Better Reef's class. He should get stopped, to be fair. But uh, lots to look for. Hey, next year, you know, the end of 2022 has has been a little bit of a of a you know turd in the side pocket there, Luke, for boxing. Okay, maybe a little bit more than a little bit because we thought you know we thought at one point we could go. Crawford Spence, Usyk Fury, Tank Ryguy to close the year, which would have been like, you know, 
getting your Christmas presents on Thanksgiving, right? It would have been incredible. Next year, next year could be something, okay? Boxing fans, okay? MMA fans who have taken the taste test, all right? Never forget the boxing cannon will break your heart and your wallet. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, sometimes you get what you need, right, Mick? Sometimes it's magic. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I need so, this shit, Luke. Okay, this this keeps me alive. A it's a drug for you. It's a drug. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move to point number five, BC, to wrap up our top five here. Now, I want to be very careful about, you know, the situation. So the question is this. David Morrell Jr. shined against Eidos Yerbosinoli, who we called Yerbosi Nuli, unfortunately, on our broadcast. We didn't know how it was pronounced, so we apologize. But Eidos Yerbosinoli he eventually stopped him in the 12th round. Now, my question is about whether or not he's a threat at 168. First things first, Dan Raphael last night reporting that uh, your boss Sinley was put into a medically induced coma. BC, first things, let's discuss that off the top. Now, I'll be honest. Yes, he looked to be in bad shape after the stoppage when he was trying to get to his feet and he couldn't. You actually see David Morrell Jr. try and help him. And so that was nice. It I'll be candid. I, I did see some people saying, oh, it should have been stopped after the six. I did not feel in real time like I was watching any warning signs, and it was a veteran referee as well. Um, your reaction to the news that, un- quite unfortunately, we obviously hope for the best, that your boss is in a medically induced coma. Yeah, it's scary. My prayers could not be more in his direction. I think all of the all of boxing is 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 essentially under that same thought process. That it should be. I did, look. I, I'll be look. I was I was ringside in what was it 2013 when. Um, when Magomed Abdusalov, uh, the unbeaten heavyweight, fought Mike Perez, and you know, and ended up uh, in a in a coma, and you know, and today, you know, his career's over, and, and he's got some very serious physical ailments from that, and and is lucky to be alive. I do remember in that fight feeling like, man, why are we still doing this? Stop it! This fight didn't have that same feeling, although it ended up being kind of a worst case scenario for your boss Sinley, where it looked early, like when Morel was lighting him up, like you know, we're headed toward a stoppage here. For whatever reason, for maybe the toughness of your boss, Italy, it just didn't happen. Give Morell credit for how we finished it. But no, there wasn't points in that where I thought, hey, man, you know, we're getting into some dangerous territory, even though you could see the that that the wariness and the toll of of, of staying in a fight that late against somebody like Morell was taking on your boss, Italy. And, and, the, and it's the fights that you don't get finished early, but take big punishment that are the, the most dangerous. But we do have a, a bit of an updated uh, reporting here from Jake Donovan of BoxingScene.com just in the last hour, where he caught up with uh, Suleiman Promotions, which is uh, represents Eidos, your boss, Italy. And they confirmed that, yes, the fighter is in a medically induced coma inside the hospital in Minneapolis, but they dismissed the claims that he's in critical condition as misinformation, which is great to hear if that's the case. Uh, the promotion insists that the doctors have informed his condition to be not life-threatening. They expect a full recovery. He'll remain under observation for at least two weeks. Um, Luke, this is this game. It's, it's you know, combat sports in general, but boxing with the, maybe the lighter gloves and the sustained head, head damage it happens, and it's there's never the right words to say afterwards. If your boss Sinley can recover from this, as his promotion seems to be putting out there, is the direction he seems to be heading, then, then you know, th- this is great news. But um, this is the reality of this sport, and, and we love it for the brutality and the courage that it shows. But, you know, it can create these same type of situations. But that little bit of, of breaking news there... It helps to a certain degree, and we, we certainly are, are, are with uh, your boss, Sinley, in his battle until he can get back on his feet here. No doubt about it. I'm glad to hear that's a, that's a very encouraging sign, and um, 
let's just hope for the best and we'll see how it goes day by day. But certainly everyone on this show sends their, uh, their prayers to your vicinity. Now, BC, in a respectful way, I would like to talk about the performance of David Morrell Jr. For as much as there is some concern about your vicinity, a, a fight did take place. There is something to be said for what Morrell was able to achieve. And again, I want to be, you know, understanding of your boss situation. But BC, it looked to me like David Morrell Jr. Wow, man, I was sleeping on his defense. It was on point. His offense. Dude, we all were. Yeah. Look, we've just, all me, been so sleeping just, on me, this Let guy. me just ask you this way. Is he a threat at 168 right now? He is. He's what? 7-0 and with 6 now? Is it 8-0 now with 7 KOs? Um, here's the deal with David Morrell Jr., who's only 24 years old. Lord, he wants all the smoke. We know this. He's had this secondary title for a few fights now. He's always calling out Benavides and Canelo. He is leveling up on a fight-by-fight -fight basis, and the leap he made here. Okay, look. Mandatory opponent? Yes. Hand-speeded and foot-speed advantage that proved to be the major part of him having success? Yes. But, Luke, you mentioned the defense. When he first started getting legitimate push, it happened a few times on some PBC on Fox cards, I think a lot of us in the boxing game were like, okay, but, you know, does his... What he's does what he's doing in the ring really match sort of the push he's getting, the featured placement he's getting, the opportunity at that secondary title. Now you're seeing full bloom. What I mentioned last week, his longtime manager or his manager promoter here, Louis DeCubis Jr., who works hand in hand with Al Heyman at PBC. When he told me, look, that I've never seen a Cuban prospect like this, and I've seen or represented them all. I think Luke, this was the performance that really backs up that kind of statement. The head and truck movement defensively. Yes. The the quickness and the variety of his power punching and shot selection. The showmanship with the you know the 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 Ali shuffle and stuff. And I do see a lot of people saying, "Look, this was a maybe a matchup skills wise." At the end of the day, he should do this. Can he do that type of dancing against truly elite foes? Should he do that type of dancing? He's gonna have to you know he's gonna have to show us that. Probably not, right? He's gonna have to be on point. But he showed you enough of that next-level magic there that at 24 years old, his ceiling is much larger than it originally appeared to be. He's fixed up a lot of those defensive holes. He is dynamic offensively to get off shots, to, to put together sort of, you know, combinations you don't see coming, unnatural sort of combinations. I mean, look, I am very impressed at what he can do in this division, and things could not be heating up in a better way at the moment of what we talked about last week. Plant, Plant versus Benavides on the way. Canelo's coming back from injury next summer-ish and has all four titles and just as well could come back and try to defend them. Jamal Charlo could be moving up. David Morrell Jr. is now firmly in the midst of that entire larger conversation. Um, you love to see it. You love to see when a fighter adds experience, adds maturity, and leaps through your screen. He's only 24. He's a southpaw. He's got a home, a bit of a you know, sort of unique home court advantage there in his new, in his second home of Minneapolis. Yeah, the hype, the hype's starting to, it's starting to make sense now. It really is. I got to tell you, I, I, I said it on the prelims, which by the way, all the MK fans who tuned in, thank you so much. BC and I, we truly, we, we love it when you turn in, tune in, no matter what. But for those, we really appreciate when you guys make the effort, especially if you're an MMA fan, you're slow to convert to boxing. So thank you. If you're watching, uh, I, I had thought that you know we were. I knew we were going to see dynamic offense, which we did. I just wasn't sure about the defensive end of things. Jesus, that proved to be totally wrong. 
He looked so good in every department, in every way. There was, you know, a couple of moments where your, your boss Italy was able to to offensively stifle him or whatever. But in, in general, this was really the David Morrell Jr. show. And BC, the one thing you're pointing out, when he would go to the body and then lean over and get the inside uppercut, oh my, I mean, it was just, and it was so fast and so clean and so crisp. He can do it all. He just looked like he was an all-star performance out there, really in every kind of way. Where he will go against more senior or difficult opposition certainly remains to be seen. But I get the hype on the kid now. I was a little bit slow yeah. with it before. Not anymore. Like you, I finally had the, the wake-up moment, the eureka moment, let's say, in this contest. He is for real. We still have to see, obviously, bigger questions and bigger tests ahead. But like, what right. is he bad at at this point? Where is the obvious place where he, you just know he can't go? I'm not sure we've discovered that yet. I'm not sure it exists. And look, your boss was tough as nails, and for him to hang around for you know into the twelfth round was was really incredible. But I don't know if Morel can can look this virtuoso against you know better hand speed across from him. He's gonna have to prove that. But I do wonder when we look back at some of the early fights in his rise. He only has eight pro fights. Just a reminder, folks. Um, it, you know, you could really now look at and he's he's putting this together in real time. You know what I mean? And, and he could not ask for a more experienced team. He's got the great Ronnie Shields of Houston as his main trainer who's coached mm-hmm. everybody. He's got Bob Santos as his cut man who's becoming one of the brightest minds in the game. And oh, by the way, I didn't even realize this heading into the fight. Andre Durrell, Luke and I called the fight in the featured prelim main event on Saturday where 39-year-old Andre Durrell came back against Unieski Gonzalez. We didn't know if Durrell was going to get knocked the hell out or, or whatever. He came back ready to fight and he looked great. Bob Santos in his corner. This is a trainer who's making big moves. This is Morel's cut man right now. I mean, look, you know, we've seen it before, right? Papa Papachenko, uh, Lomachenko's trainer. They added Russ Anber as their cut man, a longtime trainer with a great, great knowledge. They, this corner is an incubator right now for David Morel, who has great physical gifts here, to now add the mental ones and the variety to his game where let's watch out. Let's watch out moving forward. Yeah, and I was just going to say, too, um, well, I'll save it here for a minute. That that does it for our top five here, BC. I want to remind everyone, the best time to prepare for growth is before the opportunity arrives, especially, BC, for online businesses. Oh, when you were saying growth, I was like, are we manscaping here? No, we're not, Luke. But how about our friends at ShipStation? They set you up for growth by directly integrating with every shopping cart and storefront so your products are easier to find, easier to manage, and easier to get in the hands of happy customers. One way I like to avoid holiday stress is getting on top of our online products and shipping before the shipping season starts to get crazy. The easiest way I have found to do this is with ShipStation. This way, we don't have to feel overwhelmed and play catch-up and can feel reassured our customers are receiving their orders on time. Yeah, and there's no more limiting your business to one store. ShipStation integrates with every platform you already use. I'm talking about Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, etc. It makes it easy to manage all your shipping from one simple dashboard. This helps to maximize your sales, really, with minimal effort. It's a smart way to do it. Save time with consolidated order management and automated shipping updates for your customers. Easily compare carriers, rates, and delivery times to get the most out of every send. Yeah, you're right. And get the same discounted shipping rates that Fortune 500 companies use, whether you're sending a stack or a truck full. Join and support companies using ShipStation today, such as Sock Club and Siete Foods. Join them. Ship more and grow more with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com today 
and sign up with the promo code MORNINGCOMBAT, all one word, for a free 60-day trial. Not bad. Start today and get set up before the biggest shipping season of the year. You know what I'm talking about. The holidays are coming, folks. Again, that's two months free. Visit ShipStation.com, click on that microphone at the top, and then type in our code MORNINGCOMBAT. Two words, put them together. MORNINGCOMBAT with a K. Do that shit and ship it with ShipStation. Yeah. All right, you see, before we get to your feces, let's talk quickly about the Hammer of the Month nominees. So we're going to pick one for, like, you know, somebody who is ascending and really making a name for themselves. Not so much in the main or co-main event role, but somebody else who may be a little bit unheralded for Hammer of the Month. So you can, of course, use the hashtag Hammer of the Month. If you want to, you can use the hashtag Holy Hammer. Really up to you. Uh, of course, you want to make sure you follow Money Lion on Instagram at Money Lion Inc. or on Twitter at Money Lion. Make sure you tag them. Make sure you follow them. Make sure you have the hashtag there. BC, you could put Andre Durrell in that list. We thought he looked really good, all things considered. By the way, famed MMA trainer Phil DeRue trained Andre Durrell for this contest. He might be the trainer you know for Dustin Poirier and many other ones as well. He was training Durrell for this one, so he's got good company in his corner, so to speak, as well, BC. Whoa, uh, he, I, he, had, he had Bob Santos as his main guy. Was DeRue working throughout the entire camp in Florida? Yeah, yeah, in Florida. That's right. He was his guy. So, I, you know, nice. you can tell, man. Phil gets these guys ready to go, man. He really does. So, shouts to Phil DeRue. But, dude, another name. I don't know if you saw the Cage Warriors main event, Paul Hughes. Dude, if you guys haven't seen this, this kid, Paul Hughes, Cage Warriors has an interesting relationship to the American market because their very best stuff, which is to me on par with virtually any other organization outside of the UFC, it's specifically designed for a European audience, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it, that's what it is. And then you see their American stuff, and it's definitely good, but they're not. it doesn't have the same footprint here that it does in Europe. But if you watch this, it was a rematch. It was for a title unification. Paul Hughes. Let me say that one more time. If you guys don't know who Paul Hughes is out of Ireland, you better get hip to it quickly. Holy shit. This guy looks incredible. You couldn't believe he was a prospect with less than 10 MMA pro MMA fights on his record, he had a tough fight in the main event. The other kid's name, I, I'm going to mispronounce it, Vaduvich. I'm not sure how you pronounce it exactly. I had to watch the fight on mute because I was putting my daughter to sleep. But, uh, dude, he can strike. He can grapple. He was at ease in the pocket, made good decisions throughout the course of it, went the full distance, bloodied this guy up. He was everywhere he needed to be, offensively sound, uh, you know, defensively responsible, and just looked like his level of skill. I mean, there's just no doubt he's headed to the big show. Zero whatsoever. Pay attention to Paul Hughes. He would be my personal nominee, BC. Oh, wow. You said, holy shit. How about hashtag holy hammer on that? Don't forget, you can help try to nominate it every month. All right, Money Lion pairing with Morning Combat. We're going to give out the physical hammer at the end. So send your nominations by tagging at Money Lion on Twitter, at Money Lion Inc., I-N-C, on Instagram, uh, make sure you get that hashtag hammer of the month. There's a few on this UFC card, Luke, uh, this past Saturday. You know, we're going to see and have you seen this shit that, hey, Pollyanna Viana, Luke. I know a lot of people are tweeting about her and Colby lately, but she had a hammer time moment. You know, in fact, you can't touch this. So there you go. Uh, all right. BC, it's time for your feces. All right. Uh, Luke, I scoured the globe yesterday, as I do every Sunday, for the uh, highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and combat sports, of course, but also beyond, right? Middle America. White folks, all folks, Luke, okay? I call this shit, have you seen it? That's what it's called. Well, you really have just you? bumbled that intro like a fucking buffoon, didn't you? 
Have you, people? Have you seen this shit? All right. Okay. I, want to see some, I better see some elder abuse today. I'm letting you know. A lot of people sending me child abuse lately. I'm, I'm kind of done with that. You know, I'm not really into that anymore. A lot of people sending animal abuse. I don't do that either, yeah, folks. Not, not okay? into child or animal abuse. I'm into loser abuse and elderly abuse. There we go. Uh, let's start off at UFC Fight Night in Las Vegas. Luke Amanda Limos had a heck of a KO3 there against Rodriguez. But how about this celebration? Pure emotion, pure jubilation. It was good to see. I was happy for. This is you when the place you buy Delta 8s gets restocked. <laughs> no comment, but that's what I'm talking about, Amanda. Get it done. Uh, Luke, that's, at the that's, weigh-in... That's me, that's me after I blow up the commode at Malka. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I've been there, too, after that time we got Mediterranean. Don't do that again. Wow. All right. Uh, Luke, uh, there was a record-tying amount of weight misses on Friday. Shayna yeah. Young, who lost a wide decision to Miranda Maverick, had to cut off her hair in order to make 126 pounds. Your thoughts? I always hate it when they have to do it. I've seen it work where they make the weight. But, man, you got to cut off your hair to make weight. You might have a tough-ass fight ahead in front of you. Like, you, you probably yeah. drained as shit to get down there, you know? Remember that time Paulie Malnagy had to have his, his, like, dreads cut off in the middle of the fight because they were getting in his vision? Vaguely. When was that? It's like 2008-ish. It was it was a fight on uh, Versus. Remember that back in the day? I think he fought Lovemore Endu, and uh, it oh, was in Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they were building toward a Paulie-Ricky Hatton fight, and yeah, all right. By the way, did you see... Uh, oh, I'll talk about that later. Okay, Luke, also Yo, in the see, UFC... This is, is, this, is this your hand after you've manscaped? <laughs> <laughs> no comment, but that lawnmower uh, 4.0 there, that's a heck of a bag right there. All right. Luke, did you see this sick standing guillotine from flyweight Tagir Ulanbekov against Nate Manis. Manis, I think. However you no, it, it's Manis. If you you should start watching with the volume on, Luke. You'll learn how to say people's names. But yeah, well, Nate Manis. I'm sure got, I will. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, John Annex yeah. around you, Will. What do you think? I love standing guillotines. It's one of those things, Luke, that I, it just pops me, all right? Yeah, you're not supposed to get submitted with them, but if they get... Um, because the defense is technically easier in the sense that if you notice that the hips are not being controlled. But if you can latch that fucker on quick enough, man, you can just you can force it. And uh, if you notice the choking, go if we'll watch it one more time. Pay attention to the right elbow. See how the right elbow is. Let's see if in the other angle. Yeah, see how it's tucked below the shoulder of Menes or Manis. That tells you that that fucking shit was deep. Manis had gone three zero at bantamweight, but moved down to flyweight for this fight, Luke. But it did not get out of the first round. Big win for Tagir. Ulan Bekoff. And also, uh, speaking of hashtag Holy Hammer, how about Pollyanna Viana? First round against Jin Yu Fry. Not only do we get a thunderous finish, but as Bill Raftery would say afterwards, with the kiss. Right? She gets a little smooch. Yep, there it is. Yep, there it is. Luke, we don't see that in this division that often, right? I mean, this was thunderous. Yeah, you don't see a lot of... Bop, 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 drop them, like, and then hammer fist them out like that KOs. But God bless it. It's a dynamic division. You know, with that type of celebration, too, hashtag holy hammer indeed, Luke. We're going to have to remember this name yes. moving yes. forward this month, okay? She's, she'd be a good candidate as well, absolutely. Speaking of hammers, how about Bantamweight Tamaris Vidal winning the UFC debut with a first-round stoppage of Ramona Pasquale with a Ooh, flying knee? Damn! That is beautiful. Oh, man. And I don't mind the stoppage there either. Dunzo. Dunzo. That was, was that, great. Damn, look at this flying knee right to the 
right to the midsection and then the finish there. It's a Chris liver Tanyoni's shot. Right? She, like, she, no. th- she throws the right, but then it actually is the left that comes through. Let's see it one more time here. Let's see. Yeah, it's the left. That's like a breadbasket slash liver shot there, depending on how it landed exactly. That's a, that's nice. Really nice. Uh, Showtime Boxing was at the Armory in Minnesota. Luke, we mentioned Morell's defense has improved incrementally. Let's take a little highlight of that. Yeah, boy, this is where I was like, yeah, I might have been underrating his defense just a tad. Whew. I mean, he didn't even show he didn't even show this defense last fight against Calvin Henderson. I mean, this is no. he's damn. He's so good. There it is right Man. there. Let's go to the co-main event. So Yoelvis Gomez was supposed to take on Jason Rosario Banana, the former unified champion who moved up to middleweight. Last minute replacement Brian Mendoza came up from the undercard. Luke, he kicked the shit out of Banana. Look at this finish via uppercut. Damn, brother. Dude, uppercuts don't come much cleaner than that. That is about as, I mean, that's not as good as the uppercut that Gervonta hit on Leo Santa Cruz, right? That one's a little bit better because that one sent him packing like completely unconscious. He hit him so fucking clean. And if you notice, you can't quite see unless you slow the tape down. He flashes just a little bit and then retracts and then fires the uppercut right behind it. So when he flashes, you'll see Rosario. Excuse me, yeah, you'll see Rosario bring his hands up and kind of crouch, which means he was leaning into it. And if you watch, catch the timing, he catches him as he's stepping. So like everything about that uppercut is fucking perfect. What a shot! He had dropped banana to the body earlier, and then Luke afterwards he pulled the Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 30 by saying, "Thank you, Mississippi." Did you hear <laughs> that? Part? Yeah, I don't. Th- you probably had the volume down because that's what you do. All right, no, Luke. I, Else- uh, no, I, so, dude, it's hard because sometimes I got to watch these with my kid, and sometimes I, you know, I got to watch them solo. So I don't always have the volume on. Okay, that's fine. Luke, that's how you live your life. You miss out on a lot that way, okay? There's a lot of bullshit commentary on some cards, but, you know, you miss out on the info. Hey, let's go elsewhere in boxing. Let's go down under. Let's pour one out for Mark Hunt in his retirement bout. He took on unbeaten pro boxer Sonny Sonny Boy Williams, who's a former rugby league star. Luke, he took care of him early here. Damn. Yeah, dude, that right hand he hit him with just sent him packing. Dude, Sonny Bill Williams was uh, a player for the All Blacks, and like a good one too. So that if you don't know who that is, that's rug- that's New Zealand's premier rugby team, uh, the National Oh, I said team. rugby league. There's a difference, right, between rugby yeah, and rugby, rugby league? league and rugby know. union. Uh, I don't really know, okay? It's not my he, bag, I think he, I think he played both. But to be clear, Sonny Bill Williams was a, a fantastic member of the All Blacks. He's a very, very good athlete. And old Hunto here just kablams oh. him with that right hand. Look at that shit. And I think he retired afterwards. Dude, it's a serious question. Is Mark Hunt the official king of the walk-off KO? I think he is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Power, the last thing to go. It's, it's still there, okay? Uh, let's get a little highlight of some of B-Vol's handiwork. Here's some of that pinpoint power punching we talked about against Zerto in Abu Dhabi. Dude, he had Zerto just not knowing where the fuck to even look. And every punch is clean and hard. I mean, look at that. And, dude, you got to give Zerto credit. Zerto was not irresponsible, Luke. You know, he tried his best, but damn. It just wasn't enough against a guy like this who can do this. And then, again, remember, what you're watching is a guy in Bivol who made Zerto miss or blocked 
88% of his punches. Think about that for a second. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Luke, on the undercard on DAZN, 21-year-old Campbell Hatton, son of Ricky, improved to 9-0. and He doesn't have a lot of pop, just two knockouts coming in, Ooh. but he gets the KO1 via body shot here. Oh, that was a nice shot, too. So the day of the fight, somebody tweeted at Gervonta and was like, hey, we should make Gervonta versus uh, Campbell Hatton. Gervonta quote tweeted in a now deleted tweet saying, if we make that fight tomorrow, he'll be having breakfast with his father drinking out of a straw. So there you go, Luke. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong necessarily. Uh... Yeah, I mean, but hey, congratulations, Campbell Hatton. Good to see you right there. Hey, let's go to BKFC 32 from Orlando. Luke, there was a DQ in this fight. I don't even know who's fighting. But gentlemen, we're on live television here. Shades of Strike Force Nashville. Where's Gus Johnson when you need him? Oh, he gives him the finger. Oh, oh, snap. Bare Look, dude, knuckle bonanza. Yep. Dave, Balls Dave, bonanza. Oh, Dave Feldman getting involved. Hey, listen, are bras legal in BKFC? I hope. Uh, <laughs> bras, yeah, bras are, are, you know, you can take dude, it off, too. Are you too. shitting me? OnlyFans is their main sponsor on the canvas. That is fucking awesome. So David Feldman actually tackled that fighter right there. You can see him. He put him in a headlock and then tackled him to, to keep the fight from happening. I say just let him go afterwards, right? I mean, it's a bare-knuckle fight, for crap's sake. It's yeah, not like... It's, listen, it's it's overtime rules. Just brawl. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hey, Luke, uh, a lot of people in combat sports took part in Halloween. You know, one of your favorite... Uh, one of your favorite holidays. Uh, how about this for a crossover? L.A. Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner and his wife dressed up as Canelo and his wife. They didn't like get Can the tattoo of the I eyeballs. Canelo really let himself go. <laughs> no eyeball tattoos on his arm, but are you impressed by his performance here? Yeah, not really. Hey, could you okay. could you could you tie those fucking things worse? I mean, <laughs> what's up with the laces there, my guy? Okay, then. Well, Luke, uh, the new power couple in boxing, Oscar De La Hoya and Holly Saunders, dressed up as Lucy and Ricky. Your thoughts? Um, I don't know how to make a comment about this without being unbelievably mean. Yeah. yeah whoa, I mean? whoa. Okay, there you go. There it is. Okay, yep, that's it. That's the shit. Wow, okay. Uh, anyone listening at home and not watching, that's you, Aaron Bronstetter. You may need to see this. Okay, and finally, Luke, uh, maybe combat sports' most prominent pop power couple of the moment. Jake Paul and Julia Rose dressing up as, uh, is this Avatar? I didn't see that flick, so I don't know. Yeah, oh yeah, this this is Avatar. Uh... I got to tell you, man, this is a lot of energy just to be like, hey, people have a good costume. I just wouldn't. I mean, that's a full body painting. And, and also, Avatar sucked. That's what I hear, Luke. Okay, that's what I hear. I didn't see it, you know. But hey, Julia follows me on Twitter, so there's always that, right? At the end of the yeah. day. Have you slid into the DMs yet? Uh, no. <laughs> no, Luke, I'm a happily, very happily married man. Thank you very much. Speaking of the Paul family, Luke, what a weekend for them in... Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. It was WWE crown jewel. And love him or hate him, apparently Logan Paul's really freaking good at this thing. Against Roman Reigns for the WWE championship, he took out a selfie and then leaped from the top rope. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't watch pro wrestling and I'm not about to start, but everyone I know who does watch this uh, rubbish tells me that Logan Paul is very good at it. And I got to tell you this well done. 
Uh, this yeah. is well done. You got, I mean, you can shit on pro wrestling if, like, if you're like me, but that is very well done. Uh, Logan would go on to hit this frog splash off the top rope here against Roman. We've got footage. And Luke, I, I got to tell you, as a former pro wrestling fan and journalist, that's about as good as it gets right there. Damn, right? Jesus Christ. Dude, fucking, I got to say this, old Logan Paul's pretty athletic, huh? He is. But Luke, there you you do get a receipt if you if you, if you you play in this game that, that aggressively. Logan Paul diagnosed afterwards with a torn meniscus, a torn ACL, and a damaged MCL. So uh, he's going to be out a while. But Luke, Logan had his moment, but so did Jake Paul, who ran interference against the Usos during that main event to break it up. Here's the footage. Yeah, no me gusta. No me gusta. Now, he's got to work on his working punch, as they call it, Luke. Not realistic here, right? Uh, it's it's pro wrestling, bro. Not much of it. Well, is. what I'm saying is, some people thought that punch on Silva was fake. That was real. This is fake, Luke. This is this is fake right here. Okay, he's got to work on that a little more. You it's know, you more gotta, than just fake. It's just it's. You got to lay that in. I mean, you got to lay that is, shit in a little bit. You know, it's like if you're 13, I get watching this, but for everyone else, like, what are you doing? Well, Luke, backstage in Riyadh, Real did recognize Real for a moment. What do you think these two talked about? Oh, Brock Lesnar in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Um, You know, probably not how much they love Nancy Pelosi. I'm going to guess that, you know. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. Uh, Luke, uh, we often read Manscaped ads that give you advice on how to deal with your filthy, disgusting genitals. How about some shower advice from Sean Strickland? I'm going to give you guys some advice. Um, showering with your AK, Luke, have you? It's not effing weird at all. It's the most American thing you can do. How is showering with a Russian uh, <laughs> rifle American? Yeah, good point. Good point. Also, uh, Luke- the AK-47 is an interesting weapon. People don't realize this. Like, when I was... In the military, we use the M16A2. And uh, the AK is better because you can put, like, in certain ways anyway, because you can put dirt all in that bitch and it still fires. It is so fucking inaccurate. It is a very inaccurate weapon, rel- relatively speaking, anyway. It's so like your M16, fight Can't take any dirt. Can't take any dirt, but uh, it's yep. a little bit better for anything past 300 yards. You know what's more accurate than that? Me picking uh, Till versus Woodley, Bevol versus Canelo. Francis versus wrestling. Monterey. Francis Luke, versus okay. wrestling. Yeah. Uh Luke, remember that scene in Half Bake where where uh where uh John, what's his name, was like, You ever see Son of a Woman? You ever watch Son of a Woman on weed? Hey Luke, you ever get front row tickets to a concert before? One time. You ever get you ever get front row tickets to a concert on weed? Wow, look at that. Yeah, that's great right there. Was, okay. Was she healed by Benny Hinn? What happened there? Oh yeah. <laughs> Hey, that that healed uh, Holyfield's heart, Luke. Okay, please. Dude, All right. My favorite was when Benny Hinn would be like healing people, and then he couldn't heal enough of them, like whoever would be in attendance, because it'd be like tens of thousands of people. So that motherfucker would take off his jacket and then start whipping people, and as he would whip them in the face with his fucking sport yeah. coat, he'd be healing them. I'm gonna start doing that to everyone when I walk around on Fiverr. You just start fucking slapping people in the face with my jacket. I'm healing you, heathen. I mean, to be fair, Luke. 
I've seen it. I believe in healing, but uh, I don't know if I believe in Benny Hinn, though. At the end of the day, that guy was uh, uh, not the most reliable in a lot of those categories. Uh, Luke, Brian Ortega does incredible things behind the scenes that we don't get to see. <laughs> Here's one of them, Luke. Check this out. What the fuck? Look oh. at that flying triangle from T-City. Okay, that's that's cool. Yep, that, that's that cool. cool. It's a little pro wrestling, pro wrestling e, but it's it's fucking cool. Boy, could right. could 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 uh, Henner wind up on that punch more? <laughs> look at look at the punch. Oh, just, just don't pay attention to Brian. Just look at the punch. I mean, look at you telegraphed it, my guy. You telegraphed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, like Jake Paul against the Usos, indeed. All right, Darwin Award winner of the week. Let's let's go to Middle oh, America these. here. Yeah, yeah. You ever see mouth fireworks before? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think he lived, though. I think he lived, so shout out to him. That's, uh, oh, that's that something. is awesome. Just yeah. torch this Zero's stupid-ass face. Yeah, why don't you All roll right. around the ag- agony some more, fucko? Uh, MMA fighters in the wild time, Luke. This is some. I mean, what if they are just like one of us? Here's Robbie Lawler warming up. Are you impressed? Damn. Pretty impressed. Pretty impressed. Hugely impressed. Is this like a dwarf on golf thing where he's really standing behind that table? Okay, and those see, are you're like, going to get mad at me for saying this. It is impressive. Oh, Luke, could you do it? No, I could not. No, I could not even get very close. But I don't think that's as impressive because if you look at his knees, that means his feet are pointed up, BC. When you get the real split is when the insides of their feet touch the oh ground. Those, the, 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 you know, this is like, like the, Phil Sims all over again. A 60-year-old man's doing like 100 push-ups and looks like, yeah, but those aren't real pull-ups. No, he was doing pull-ups and he was strong, but if you don't go and lock out, it doesn't, I don't give a shit what anybody says, it doesn't count. It's zero. <sighs> it's easier okay. if you don't achieve lockout to go and do it. Like It's just by definition easier. Well, Luke, I caught a world record of ats on Twitter yesterday because uh, one half of the world's most dangerous female duo posted a picture with the hashtag Connecticut. Antonina's in my state, Luke. Where is this? Uh, I'm surprised we're down by the river and I don't see vans. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll just we'll just leave this and keep going. But uh, welcome, Antonina. You're welcome. You know, you're welcome anytime here. Okay. Uh, let's go over to Yoel, Yoel Romero. We always knew he was a freak of nature, but here's him doing hammer throws with hammers, Luke. Yeah, hashtag holy hammer. Damn. Dude, my, man, my man's grip strength is probably next. You think this dude's ever had a trouble opening a fucking pickle jar in his life? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He could just yeah. pop that off with a single. They used to say, by the way, I think this is true. I, again, it probably isn't. Like, who the fuck knows? But at least someone told me that George Washington was strong enough that he could crack a walnut in his hand. You ever heard of that? Yeah, then he chopped down a tree, Luke, because he didn't. He could never lie to his dad. Yeah, that, I mean, they, they told lots of myths about the the founding fathers. But here's no myth. Old fucking look at look at this guy. This guy <laughs> is nearing fifty, and he's out here working out like he's training for the purge. Yeah. Uh, Hammer of the Month can candidate just for this scene right yes, here is Yoel, yes. Yoel Romero. Uh, but this isn't the greatest feat of strength of the week. Let's go over to former strawweight champion Zhang Wiley, who will be, have a chance this Saturday to regain her title against Carla Esparza. Uh, Luke, that's Francis Ngannou, and that's with ease. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge range of motion, but she is clearly strong as fucking shit. There's no denying that. Don't forget Mystic Dean Thomas, who predicted 
Lamosh by knockout also said he would that she would take Carla's head off, Luke. Yeah. Yeah, he th- uh, he thinks that uh, there's basically no way Esparza wins. I tend to think that he's probably right, but, you know, can't get too confident Did, in this game. Were you upset at that YouTuber's comment that Dean is the first Thomas member to uh, watch or join the show in your history? I thought that was way out of bounds, Luke. Say again? They commented that, you know, it was great to see Dean. It's the first time for Luke that a member of the Thomas have, you know, watched or, or decided to join the show. You know, it was, it was a big breakthrough moment for you. Hey, you listen, know? you got to find your family members where you can. You know what I'm saying? All right. All right. Hey, Luke, how about this hero? You know, you know they say no, no good deed goes unpunished. How about this heroism from this inline skater to avoid this child, right? Ooh. Oh. There goes my oh. hero. Oh, <laughs> Watch him as he goes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, that is fucking great. Yeah. Oh, that is just. You know what? Like, did we really need this guy to procreate? Probably not, right? Probably I mean, did we not. lose out on the cure for cancer because of this? I don't think we did. Nah, nah. Hey, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but big week for dildos, Luke. Let's go to this elementary school. This poor janitor had a heck of a time, right? <laughs> look at mrs robinson there from Dude, third grade point yeah, out. So just, here's yeah. obviously what happened some kid at an elementary school is way too fucking smart and funny for his own good and he put a giant fucking who is that the dong from the horse of aaron pico i don't know but it certainly looks familiar <laughs> and uh and now this fucking janitor or teacher has the unenviable job to you know to play pinata with this fucking dong and the other teacher's like, don't record this. This is this is unfair. No, this is hilarious. Shouts to that kid. He should be president of the United States. Anyone from my town watching, Luke, knows full well that this is not a bit of my ninth grade rec basketball team. Todd Speranzini used to regularly in the elementary school that we practice in take out adult magazines, cut out the most explicit pictures, and tape them up all over the gym in areas that aren't obvious so that potentially the kids could run into them and my coach did nothing to stop him, Luke. It was anarchy. Well, your finest. coach sounds like he's probably a horrific person. Yeah, yeah. I would reveal his name, though. Yeah, big week. Uh, hey, speaking of dildos, Luke, does this give new meaning to the term shuttlecock? <laughs> speaking of lawn Who games. These people that just have giant <laughs> dildos all in their fucking house. <laughs> We've got female uh, viewers apparently here, Luke. This is great yeah, content. The best right. part is, you know, like not a single woman sent anything like this ever in. It's always the dudes. Uh, Luke, what was that guy, John McCain? What did he once call the UFC? Human cockfighting. Well, the folks at Comedy Central <laughs> have gotten quite literal. Let's go to the videotape here. Float like a butterfly, sting like a penis. That's the long and short of it. I'm Max Riley, and I run the Human Cockfighting League. The game is simple. It's the best of five rounds. The fighter with the most hits wins. But the fans are really here to see it. And the winner is... Chubb Norris! Chubb has been the reigning <laughs> Chubb Norris. That's one more tool belt for the trophy case. He's gotten so good, the other fighters still have a choice but to play dirty. Keep him all the way. That's your first warning. Cockfighting isn't just some kind of pissing contest. It's an acceptance of one's full humanity, exposing our most private parts and enduring excruciating pain. Most men are insecure about the size of their schlong, but here at HCFL, we celebrate all shapes and sizes. So we created four different weight classes. <laughs> Knob, cock. 
No matter what size you are, if you want to battle with the pros, you got to train like a pro. You practice how you play hard. But a good training day just it goes to waste without proper recovery. And in accordance oh, no. with HCFL regulations, every fighter has to weigh in before every fight. At the end of the day, we need everything to be A human cockfighting isn't just a sport. It's a community. A community of people who are cut above the rest. Okay. Uh, tell, tell, me, tell, me, tell me you wouldn't have more. You would, if Dana had a press conference this Friday instead of the slap league for this, you'd go to this, right? Oh, yeah. If he doesn't bring in Rocco to just test out the product, Luke, speak softly, but carry a big stick indeed. This is oh, where's, uh, where's Lex the Impaler when you need him? Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, Luke, what a creative way f- to 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 combine Halloween with, you know, your everyday backyard squirrel feeder. Your thoughts on this scream inspired invention? Someone put it in a dong. Oh. I mean, it seems a bit much to do to wild animals, but... Uh, do you like scary movies? Okay. You know, I've never seen Scream beginning to end. Scream 1? I've never seen any of the Screams uh, in totality, and certainly not even the All first right. one. Just, I stand by the thing. first two. I think it got a little wonky after that, um, but I know what you did last summer's better with Hotter Chicks. Come on. Everyone knows that. Right. I've not seen that either. I saw that in the theater four times. Four times. Wait, okay. how many times? How many times sober or with your pants on? <laughs> wow. Hey, Luke, we have gone to the future. We got together some gigawatts and we found footage of you 30 years from now. <laughs> 30 years? How about 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my entire Instagram feed. <laughs> All right, uh, Luke, I know you're not going to like this, but we're going to close with this. It's time for an intervention about your filthy-ass white trash vape habit. Okay. Uh, this is what Luke Thomas thinks he looks like vaping. Let's see. <laughs> I wish I had that much hair. <laughs> this guy's an artist. Look at him. Oh, my Lord. Look at this man. <laughs> By the way, hammer of the month right here. <laughs> oh my lord. Okay, there you go. Well done. This well, he's still going. Potential hammer of the month here, this guy. But Luke, uh, this is what Luke Thomas actually looks like vaping on air. <laughs> My lord, she is hideous. <laughs> I mean, Luke, come on. It's about you know, it's about time. It's about time you uh you clean this up. Come on. Wait, let me see if I can let me see let me see if I can do that. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> uh, do you have the ability to do those next level tricks like that first gentleman? God, I wish I would. If I had tricks with the vape, I would do it. But no, I'm just shuffling nicotine into my lungs like a fucking idiot. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's been good. It's perfect. It's created good content for our show from the likes of JP and others. But uh, it has. Yeah, it's been go. good for the memes. It's been good for the uh, memes. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, uh, morning right, combat every- at gmail.com. Excuse me, Luke is the email address for Wednesday's fan subs. Fridays dead wrong. So uh, thank you, folks, for for you know. 
Thank you. There you go. Uh, right. I want to remind everyone, I'm going to be in Jersey starting tomorrow. BC will be there starting Wednesday. So Wednesday and Friday shows in studio. We have a bunch of other stuff planned for in studio. I don't want to give it all away yet. It hasn't happened, but we got some stuff planned for you guys. And then, of course, Saturday, I believe we're going to do a companion for the main card at Woo! UFC 281, as well as directly after that, a post-fight show. So we have an absolute shitload of content coming your way starting as early as tomorrow. Go ahead, BC. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's, it ain't going to be Kyle Bassett. It'll be Jersey City style. But, Luke, I want to reiterate, ain't nobody going to cover this fight week better than you and I will. We got special guests. We got special friends stopping by. It is going to be a full-on, in-your-face UFC 281. We're not competing with a Canelo fight. We're not competing with anything. If something happens, we'll be on there instantly to react. You're going to love our bonuses. Remember this, as, as always, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. And at all, Luke, we had Dean Thomas on Friday. You can rewatch that if you missed it to sort of set the stage with some storylines. But today, this afternoon... Your boy BC catching up with Carla Esparza ahead of her co-main event title opportunity. She's going to look back on, you know, that Rose second fight, whether that kind of robbed her of her big moment and all that. Interesting chat there, but the names are only going to escalate from there as will the content. So uh, the Jake Paul's behind us. There ain't no Canelo here. This is about 281. Padeta, Izzy, Carla, the other people on the card. Poirier, Whaley, Chandler. Poirier, Chandler. Um, there's probably somebody else fighting on there that we like too. Yeah, Hooker, Dan Hooker's on the card. Yeah, Frankie well, we Edgar. About it. That Brad Riddell Hanato Moicano fight is fucking fire. Oh, that's gonna be that dude. That holy hammer to whoever comes out of that one. Believe me on that one. Okay. No doubt about yes. it. A reminder for your vote. Hammer of the month, holy hammer. Please vote. Remember to follow money, our friends at Moneyline. They do take care of the show, so let's make sure we take care of them. Give them a follow on Twitter or on Instagram at Moneyline Inc. Use the hashtag. Let them know who you thought. My answer for this week, BC, would be Paul Hughes. I'm so impressed by that young man. He looked tremendous. But honestly, Andre Durrell looked incredible. There's plenty of other ones you could have picked. Who did yeah. you think? Who did you think out there was the best? Let the folks at Moneyline know. If you thought it was a guy in human cockfighting, <laughs> I mean, he had a pretty big hammer. Uh, you know, go for that. But, uh, you know, check that out. Enjoy that. Well, so the, when's this Dana Slapdick press conference? Is that Friday? Friday, yeah, Friday. I mean, you, I, I'm, we're not, I, I'm just going to utterly ignore it. We should do an instant reaction to it, Luke. Oh, really? We should do, yeah. We should give We should give that some more publicity, really? Yeah, it'll just be a, just, you know, we'll just, we'll roast it. We'll just roast it. Um, We shall see. All right. Thank you to everyone who watched today. BC gave you all the places to go and find us for more information. Carla Esparza interview, I think, should be out later today. I've got a fun one set up for you guys tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. And then from Wednesday on, it's off to the races. So we're excited about UFC 281 Fight Week. We're excited for you guys to join us, and we can't wait to deliver for you. BC, before we go, are you feeling okay for this fight week? You were a little bit down for the count for the Jake Paul fight week. You made it through. You certainly pushed like a pro. How are you feeling for 281, bro? It's a bit of a home game I'm hoping Great. that the belly aching isn't too much into well, in store for us. Look, anyone who's in our game and they've traveled to the West Coast for a big fight, you know, you get there Wednesday or earlier. We got there, what, Tuesday evening? It'll take a bite out of you. I was traveling the week before for Showbox, but Luke, no excuse. I'm back. I'm rested. I'm healthy. We are going to be in Jersey City all week ready to bang, okay? Let's do this this week. Let's give the people what they really come here for, which is everything that has to do 
with mixed martial arts at the highest level, okay? Yeah, there's a one card this week. There's probably a boxing fight that I'll be watching, but Luke, it's about 281 this week, okay? You always say, why can't these guys just preview and review every single fight on the card? You want that? You're about to get it, okay? There you have it. All right, thank you guys so much for watching. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you very soon. So for, for Malka, for Showtime, for Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas, as well as CBS Sports. Uh, we're out for today. We'll see you soon. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.